All wings report in. House dog, standing by. Mother goose, standing by. Lock S foils in attack position. Animal squadron ready for battle. Hello there, and welcome back to the Animal Squadron podcast. I'm your host, House Dog, and with me, as always, the person who takes care of me while I'm still sick and dying, my co-pilot, the Chewie to my Han, the Han to my Luke, the Wampa to my Luke, the Tauntaun <laughs> to my Luke. Mother Are you goose. saying you'll cut off my arm and then um, cut me open to live in an abandoned or not abandoned, a desolate wasteland of a snow biome. The point is, you're always there to take care of me. Always there. All right, man. I'm excited about today. The long-awaited episode of The Last Jedi Part 1 is finally happening. The long-awaited episode. I... Like I said in the intro, I apologize that I sound like death. I'm still a little bit under the weather. I feel a lot better today. I just sound awful. So, if you hear any coughing or sneezing in the background, I'll do my best to try to mute it out. But, uh, just, um, bear, bear with us this episode. I have a lot to say, as does Mother Goose, and I'm just excited, even though I sound awful. Yeah, I, I don't think I have ever written this many notes for a episode before. I got a, no. a lot to say. As do I. I mean... Like we were talking before the show, I, I think this will rival our um, episode three review. I I think so as well. Um, episode three, uh, for our listeners, if you're uh, not necessarily listening to these in order, we uh, that is Mac and I's favorite Star Wars film, and so we had a lot to say there. Um, in today's episode, this is House Dog's favorite of the new trilogy, and my least favorite overall, so we also have a lot to say. It'll be interesting. It'll be good. Uh, so I actually have a note before we get to the crawl. What is with you lately? This is two episodes in a row that you've had a note before the crawl even happens. I know. I'm so sorry. Um, so... A big theme for this film was subverting audience expectation. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, as I've said in the last two episodes, a lot of people, including myself's biggest problem with the film was with ourselves. We built our expectations up too high. We had our own idea of how the film should go. And then we were disappointed when it didn't go that way. Um, and there was a big conversation when this film came out about subverting expectation because it came out around the time of Infinity War. And they very obviously, spoiler warning, but it's been out for years, subverted the audience's expectation by killing or having Thanos win and killing half of not just our heroes, but half of everyone in the universe. Um, and so there was a big topic on one that subverted expectations well, one that didn't. Uh, and that's at least how I feel. Um, this film was trying to subvert expectations, but I feel like they just did not handle it well, especially compared to everything J.J. Abrams set up and the direction Ryan Johnson went. Interesting. So one thing that I would like you to keep in mind while 
we talk about this film today is I think it's one of the heavy, like, overarching themes is that there is no hope in this episode. And they do a great job of just constantly hammering the characters in this movie with that idea and as well as pointing it out to the audience. And I, I think you should keep that in mind today while I make uh, my notes that I took is just keep yeah. that in the back of your head today. I will definitely keep that in mind. Okay, which is I... which is what a middle film should do. Either it provides a lot of hope for the sequel, or it gives you um, no hope for the sequel, and you think that your heroes are trapped in this uh, unwinnable situation. Right. Right. Okay. We're into, or I'm into the crawl now. If you've got anything else. No, I only have one note on the crawl. Okay, uh, go ahead. Uh, I just found it interesting, this line that comes directly from there, in that it's, um, I think it's referring to Leia, and just that uh, she's certain that Luke will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. I thought that was a very interesting line. It from was. The crawl. Because, uh, I mean, one, she loves her brother, she believes in her brother, but it also uh, calls back to uh, episode four. And I I know I've been using the whole soft reboot, but I don't think this is, this does not apply here. I just wanted to clarify, but it's calling back to her line in episode four where she's telling Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. Right. Um, so my notes, uh, to go with what you were mentioning uh, just a few minutes ago was... The no hope, and we see that very clearly in the crawl as uh, it states that the First Order has basically taken control of the galaxy. Right, in this short amount of time between where we left our characters and the start right. of it now. Right, and um, that I'm not, sh I should have probably looked at the uh, timeline for here like i did with the original trilogy i'll try and do that before our next episode um but i don't think much time has passed i mean technically no time has passed in terms of ray because it starts literally where she stops but between like them defeating star killer base and her actually leaving to go find luke and actually finding him I, I really don't think that much time has passed no, it, it hasn't. It literally picked up right where it left off. Yeah. Uh, and then my last note for the crawl was, uh, at the very end, we get the setup that the First Order is attacking, and I wrote, oh no, the Empire's striking back. All right. All I right. Got, I gotta throw it in there. I'm sorry. Okay, you're not wrong, but it's not like Empire Strikes Back opened up with them just utterly destroying echo base i mean they did but there was at least a pretty good skirmish okay there yes there was a good skirmish and i think this is something that this trilogy while i do feel like it's a soft reboot it's not necessarily like a one-to-one -one. like in the end of force awakens we see ray leaving to go find luke which equates to the towards the beginning of episode five where luke leaves to go find yoda so we see that um, and I'm glad that you're making these references because, boy, do I have so much to say about Luke. Good, good. I, I've got a lot to say, too. And I think 
I think we don't disagree as much as you think we do. Uh, but then, so with episode four, I'm sorry, episode five, it basically starts with the Empire attacking um, Echo Base. And, I mean, they do their best, but at the end they have to escape. They lose. And while it's not like a one-to-one translation, we see a very similar scene at the beginning of episode uh, 8. Sorry, I was going to say 7. Um, at the beginning of episode 8, the First Order, you know, strikes back. They attack the rebel base now that they know where they are um, in retaliation for Starkiller Base being destroyed. Yeah, so is that all that you have for the crawl? Yeah, that's everything. I'm on to that, that space battle. Okay, well, I have, like, just one thing before then, and that's, um, I I didn't really catch it before, but it also just kind of, um, it's a good little detail that I think they throw in that you don't notice until you've rewatched the movie a few times, and that's, um, the young lady who's speaking to one of the other, uh, resistance guys while they're st- while they're evacuating the base, and he's mm-hmm. like, well, we have all these munitions, like all of our munitions are still in C block or whatever. And she's like, you know, there's no time for our munitions. We have to go now. Which, yeah, that she is um, the woman that portrays that character is actually Carrie Fisher's daughter. Fisher's daughter, yeah. And she has the little buns. I love that about her. Same, yeah. But no, I just thought favorite. it was one of those really cool, like... <laughs> Not important details about the film, but it also adds to it in the fact that um, that it reinforces the idea that the resistance has nothing. Yeah, yeah. And we get that again uh, later whenever we meet Admiral Haldo, which I'll, I'll so, talk about that then. Yeah. Um, so to go along with what you're saying, I I really think that's where. All of my problems, okay, not all of my problems with The Last Jedi, but most of them were started with the direction they took in The Force Awakens. And for me, it's this is more like a casualty of that. And so you talk about the Resistance being, they're in a hopeless state, they've got nothing, and um, I just, I don't like seeing... I don't like being retelled the rebellion story again. Yeah, I but, can definitely see that. And that I mean that generally isn't this film's fault. Like I said, they they took they made a decision to go this direction with the Force Awakens and the rest of the trilogy had to go this direction. Like they couldn't just be like just kidding, there's no resistance. Um, you know. Uh also I apologize, my cat has the zoomies and is running all around my room so if you hear that in the background i apologize um she is a crackhead but no um i actually watching through this film i i did enjoy it more than i was expecting to before like we really get into it i love this movie it's fun i have a small uh, okay. note about yeah, general hux it's very unimportant but i go wanted ahead. to comment on it Coming from a man who has some various serious eyebrows, General Hux has got a pair of eyebrows on him 
he do be he do be having eyebrows. This is very true. He got some thick eyebrows. I don't know why I wrote that down, but it was just that really like good close up on his face after yeah. the uh, resistance base gets blown up. Um, and then it's just that shot of of Hux really close up, and I was like, man, he has got some serious eyebrows. Yeah, for sure. Um, I really I really loved the dreadnoughts design. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Um, I appreciated that it had these really big cannons. They refer to it as a fleet buster. It could fire down and do serious damage on planets. Um, but it wasn't a planet-destroying weapon, but it obviously could still do uh, damage. Yeah, no, I thought the Dreadnought was, was interesting. I don't know how I really feel about the design of the Dreadnought. It's... But I like the I like what it's capable of. I like that it's not super overpowered, and like you said, it is referenced to as a fleet killer with yeah. the the ventral cannons that it has, or whatever they're called. And um, I, it also reinforces the fact that yes, while the first order is very much a copy of the empire, the first order is like the empire on steroids. It's yeah, like I... if you gave a little kid who loves the Empire, just complete control over something, was like, okay, make your own evil bad guy. And they're like, yeah. all right, I love the Empire, I'm just going to make it a hundred times more powerful. Right, right. And, um, okay, first, to go off the design, I actually enjoyed it. I um, I thought it was, it still kind of had that triangular shape, but it was still very unique. Right. Um, compared to the Star Destroyers, I gave. I feel like it gave it... Uh, its own identity, but it did feel a little blocky. Um, and then, yeah, I actually have that note a couple times uh, uh, throughout this film of just the technical advances that uh, the First Order has made from when they were the Empire to now, and it just feels it feels like a natural progression. Right, like with technology getting better just like in real life they're obviously going to have made these advances whenever you do have that that money behind you i mean that's why the resistance still looks like the rebels is because they're still not funded very well right they don't they don't got them dollars they don't have the backing yeah um what do we what did we call it when we were playing when we were obsessed with monopoly in high school what did we say the dot was it dollops uh, nice we would never dollop. say dollars. We were very obnoxious. Yeah. Um, my next note is, I'm sorry, Poe should be dead. <laughs> like, they knew his ship was in attack position. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm glad he didn't die. But I just, I it's plot armor, but I think it's funny they didn't just blast him out of the sky as soon as he got close. Yeah, I will. I will agree with the plot armor on that one. But, I mean, it's also, like, it it also shows you how um what's the word i'm thinking of how highly the first order thinks of themselves that like this one Shit. fighter okay. couldn't yeah. do anything to them when they're in a dreadnought that's a good point they were um they were very arrogant there we go uh, um so i have a question for you okay how did you feel about BB-8 giving the signature, I have a bad feeling about this line? I'm fine with it. I, I like happy beeps. I I like happy beeps, too. Um, 
I was really disappointed when I left the theater the first time just because I was like, how could they not have the I have a bad feeling about this line? And then I looked it up and they said it was BB-8. So I wish, um, so I, I'm fine with it too, but I wish they would have made it a little more clear in the film that it was BB-8 delivering the line. But I don't know how they would have done that without making it look like just an obnoxious, um, like, what have we been calling? A callback? Yeah. Uh, I really love Poe and Hux's conversation. No, that's great. And I like how whenever, right before that conversation, like, Hux delivering his whole speech and everything. Because for right. as long as we've known this character, like, we know that he makes these big, grandiose speeches like that's who this character is and um i really like that in that speech he still references uh leia as princess yeah yeah i don't you know i never really thought about that before that's a that's a good point i just i don't know why i just still enjoy that even though she's like this old general that in the galaxy, she's still known as Princess Leia. Princess. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I don't have anything until they fire on the base. Uh, no, just the the dialogue between Poe and Hux. Like you said, it, it reminds me a lot of um, the old Verizon commercial. The Can You Hear Me Now? Do you remember oh, that yeah. was like their, yeah, their uh-huh. tag for for years was the Can You Hear Me Now? And that's what, that's what it kind of reminded me of. Is you know you you have the Verizon guy that is he's all in these different spots of the country like he's in the Grand Canyon or you know on top of a mountain he's like can you hear me now and that's yeah. that's just what I thought of with that that dialogue. Yeah, that's cool. I I, I hadn't thought about that either. Um, I I don't know. It makes me laugh every time. It's one of my favorite parts of this film. It feels like Poe. Like, um, we get the scene, we discussed it, uh, when we talked about The Force Awakens, but his, who talks first, you talk first, I talk first. Yeah, the, with, with that, with this scene, it didn't feel like he was trying to be, like, this is Poe's character. Like, this is what he does. So it, it didn't feel, um, it didn't feel like it wasn't genuine to his character. Right. Um... Okay, so um, I literally, this film, I think they handled the timing of everything really nicely because I was sitting there and I was like, I literally, I had this thought and I was like, why don't they just start firing on the planet? Like, why are they waiting? And then immediately as I had that thought, they shot and destroyed the base. Yeah, no, I liked, I liked how Ryan Johnson, like, with this film... I like the pacing of this film more than I do Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'll give you that. The The pacing is really well. And as I mentioned in, um, I can't remember if it was part one or part two, but The Last Jedi is incredibly well put together. Like, um, they did a really good job making this film. And as I stated earlier, a lot of my problems with this film's is the sins of its predecessor. Yeah, I just, I I feel like this one, like all Star Wars films, it constantly jumps between characters and places in having to get to the next thing. 
so that you can get to the big showdown at the end. Um, but I, like I said, I feel like the pacing of this one was more genuine to the previous films that we had seen. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I felt, um, while I was watching through the force awakens, there were a couple times I was like, Oh man, this is just kind of dragging on. But yeah, really, it felt like it was either dragging or just being rushed to the next to, thing. Yeah, I never, at least, that might change when we watch the second half, but at least in the first half of this film, I don't think I ever really had, or I ever felt like that. Yeah, no, that's that's what I enjoy about this film. Okay, uh, I don't have anything until Poe decides to uh, initiate the actual attack on the Dreadnought. Yeah, no, go ahead. I just have one small X-Wing thing, but we can get yeah. to that whenever you're talking about the attack. Cool. Um, so, I, I literally just wrote, like, Poe should have listened to Leia. As he said, it's, you know, they're having the argument. It's a fleet killer. He, like, turns his radio off so he doesn't have to hear her telling him to come back. And, like, this for me, like, I... Beginning of the film, I really loved Poe, haha, funny guy. But this, I was like, wow, he's really arrogant. Um, and so I kind of go back and forth on Poe and if I like him or don't like him a lot through this film. And we'll talk about that as we go through. But I really, I don't know. I get that it's a fleet destroyer. I get he wants, you know, to take take out this thing. But as he said, it's a fleet destroyer. This is the last of the resistance i almost said rebellion and he risked not just his life not just his bombers and his fighters life but every life on those ships trying to escape yeah my comment before i get into that is gonna seem really unimportant but whenever his weapon no, systems go, go down and bb-8 like actually goes oh, yeah. into the x-wing uh-huh. like I-, I just like seeing like the in like the inside and the mechanics of the X-Wing cuz you always wonder about that stuff or at least I do whenever I watch Star Wars and stuff I'm like man how do these things work and then you right. see like inside of the X-Wing and there's different mechanics involved in it and just that small section that BB-8 goes into and yeah. I just like seeing it it was cool but no to no, get think, to the the post stuff I, I think you're 100% right in the fact that like his greatest problem in this film is that he never he never looks ahead. Right. Right. It's and just I where don't... he is right now and what he thinks is the best decision. Right, and he thinks and I, I do like Poe as a character, but he is an arrogant character. He thinks that his way is the best way. And I, I think and... that's another thing that Ryan Johnson did well in this film is he really gave these characters that we didn't really get to know much about in The Force Awakens and really more like depth. gave them yeah more depth and more like character growth in this film than I think we see in the first one and the third one of the yeah, sequels. Yeah, and to bounce off that and also to bounce off what you were saying uh, just a minute ago about BB-8 going into the X-Wing, I really loved what Ryan Johnson did with BB-8 in this film. Um like, there's just so many great scenes, and we could talk about them as they come, uh, of BB-8 that I just either had me laughing, or I was like, ah, oh, that's cute, or just appreciating BB-8 overall. Um, but yeah, I really think the only character that I feel like didn't get much depth 
was thin. And we can talk about this more as it goes, but I really feel like in terms of character development, in the first film, he took two steps forward, and then I feel like in this film, he took one step back. Mm. And that was just a little frustrating to watch. But I, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Uh, I really, like, watching Finn's character, like, watching these films almost right next to each other, just like a day or two apart, I was like, oh, you know what? That back step within his character development was nowhere near as severe as I th- have been thinking it was. Right, I think part of that is due to, like, whenever we originally watched these films and they're, you know, a year or two apart. Part, yeah, yeah. And you, you, you know, remember the characters differently or you come up with um, reasons the characters should do certain things and you create your own story for them, which is what we've talked about with these films many times, so. Yeah. I just, like... Leia talking to 3PO and telling him to wipe that nervous expression off his face. <laughs> I I do too. I do too. That was that was really funny. I love um, it. Um Okay, I'm on to the the bombers. Yeah, just another like quick little cosmetic note is um whenever like Poe's flying around and doing all his stuff and taking out those surface cannons on the dreadnought is they do those shots outside of the X-Wing with the radio chatter coming through. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoy how they made the radio comms sound just like the original trilogy comms. Where they're really staticky, not great, and they sound kind of broken. And I just appreciated that they they kept that. Because it, it does remind us that the Resistance still just doesn't have the things that you would need right. for a war. Yeah. They they are under underprepared, undersupplied. Yes. Yes. Um so we mentioned it a couple times uh within both part 1 and part 2 of The Force Awakens and I think it's important to mention here the uh World War 2 parallels with the bombers coming in. This it felt like it felt like an old World War Two film, as with, I mean, exactly the same thing, just a bomber scene, and the smaller fighters trying to protect the bigger, uh, the bigger planes, or in this case, ships. Yeah, no, the, I mean, what what do you have to say about the bombing scene? Because I I don't have a whole lot about it. Yeah, uh, I've got at the end. Uh, I've got a couple things. Uh, I like I said, I just wanted to point out the World War II parallels as we've been mentioning, uh, and we'll probably mention again as we keep going. But how do the drop bombers work in space? Like, I'll give them, I will give them this scene because maybe they're close enough to the planet that uh, there was enough of a gravitational pull to bring them down. But what about if, like, what if they were in deep space combat and there were just no planets around? So I think that the bombs have some sort of their own gravitational field, and that's why they work in space. That's the only really thing I could give you. And it could be that they're, since the bombers were really like directly overhead of where they were dropping onto the dreadnought, you know, those ships have their own tractor beams and stuff like that. So maybe when you're at that distance, you know, 
I'm not saying that ships have their own gravitational pull, but they have like gravity wells and things like that, you know, so that could also be a factor. Possibly, yeah. And, you know, everything technically does have a gravitational pull, and a ship of that size, I was also thinking the Dreadnought might have also had, it wouldn't be much, but it might have had enough to bring those bombs down. But I feel like it definitely wouldn't have been as quick as we saw in the film, and Again, it's a it is a sci-fi fantasy film. Like not everything's going to make sense, but that's just something I've been curious about. Yeah, suspend your disbelief for just a moment, Elijah. For just a moment. Of course. And that's why I say I I I'm giving it to him here because, you know, there's a couple different explanations on what could be happening. Um I then wrote good catch. Um Rose's sister, she catches the uh, detonation button to drop the bombs. That uh, was a, a good, like, put-together scene. Yeah, it was really suspenseful. Like, I, I very specifically remember the first time watching that in theaters and then watching it again now, just being on the edge of my seat, like, is she going to catch it? Is she not? Like, what's going to happen? I mean, obviously I knew this time what was going to happen, but I, it's still... The film was still able to create that suspense in me, even though I knew. Right, and I wouldn't have been upset like if she didn't catch it and all hope was lost and they didn't yeah. destroy the dreadnought, but they still had to jump to light speed. Yeah, that I, I don't think I don't think I would have been upset either, because that would have been really good character development for Finn. For Poe. Uh, that's literally my neck I'm sorry, for Poe. Uh, <laughs> that literally is my next note. Poe's really lucky his plan worked out. But did it, though? Which brings me to my next note, and that's of after they've destroyed the Dreadnought and, like, Poe's super happy and everything, and it flashes back to uh, the command ship, and Leia is sitting there. Everybody else is like, yeah, we took out the Dreadnought. Woohoo! And then you have Leia sitting there, you know, kind of away from everyone at the... Uh, table and it shows that display screen of all the fighters that they had out there they and everything's lost. destroyed besides like three a wings and probably like five or X six x wings yeah 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 and it just made me think of like the real cost of quote-unquote winning right right and I, and I think that got shown a lot in this movie as well like the um just the the real cost of war. Right. It, it, um, I think a lot of times within films, you, not you, but uh, directors, filmmakers, they can glorify war. Um, and this film, I think, kind of does that. Uh, Star Wars as a whole does it. But they, like you said, it really shows the, the cost. There's, there are lives that were lost. And not just on the resistance side, but there were, thousands of people within that dreadnought that just died right which i know is good for the resistance but that's still life those that's still lives that were lost um before we really move on to this scene again it just it comes down to plot armor and you know sometimes we gotta suspend our disbelief but why didn't the star destroyers attack the rebel fleet they kind of just sat there and watched uh, like I don't think the what, cannons. Six? Yeah, I don't think the cannons on the star destroyers are strong enough to penetrate the shields. Gotcha. But I mean, even the fact. I mean, there's. I know there's like five or six later. I think there might have only been four, 
but they could have you know moved forward and s- at least done something again it's just plot armor i'll well that also gets brought up later is that the rebel ships are lighter and faster i mean whenever you think of just the massive size of a star destroyer if they right. were to move that quickly um you could potentially run into other um parts of the fleet and that gets shown a lot in like rebels and stuff is you know yeah whenever uh the empire tries to make moves on um rebel fleets like a lot of times they use that maneuverability and stuff to their advantage because those large ships can't move like that right right um and i think i think that's something that i'll bring up a couple more times uh i just feel like the first order like i I like the hopeless nature of this film, um, but I feel like there are a few times that the First Order could have done things differently and very clearly won. And it's just kind of... I want to see the hero succeed in the most dire of situations and not necessarily just because their enemy wasn't doing the smartest thing or they weren't being as aggressive as they should be. Well, if you believe that you already have a battle won, why would you try harder than you have to? You know what? That is a fantastic point. They're a bunch of arrogant a-holes. You're right. If you have the entire deck, why would I worry about the three cards in your hand? Right. Right. Um, Okay, let's move on from this deck analogy before I start talking about Magic the Gathering. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. Okay, I have one last scene before we move on. We get to see Snoke using the Force through space. Um, right, and it, my note on that part is the fact that Hux was openly shamed on the control deck of his ship. Right. Snoke doesn't care, uh, which, I mean, we see later. Snoke has Snoke has some amazing lines in this film, which I'm super excited to talk about. But like you said... He gets shamed on the ship, and Snoke views Hux as a lesser. Why Why would he care if the people on Hux's ship look down on him? Mm-hmm. Which, it was kind of very, like, Vader-esque. But, I mean, even then, Vader, most of the time, like, even when he did force choke people and stuff, it was kind of, like, off to the side and things like yeah. that. We did we did see him, I believe, once use the force choke through space. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, what film was that? Do you remember? It was Empire. Okay. That that's what I thought. Uh okay. I don't have anything until really fit uh Finn and Poe's reunion. Yeah, I just wrote Poe and Finn, the bromance continued. The bromance continues. Uh I literally my only note was Finn's naked leaking bag. Uh, I thought that was funny. That conversation that uh, Poe and BB-8 have. Because that's such a weird thing for BB-8 to say. Right. No, and I feel like it gets memed a lot, like Finn's character. Because the first question he does ask is, you where's know, where's Ray? Yeah. But, I, I mean, I get why it gets made fun of a whole lot and. You know, but I think it it just shows who his character really is, is that he just, he cares for people, especially like Ray the most, of course. And so right. I don't really get why he gets made fun of a lot for it. I guess because people think that it doesn't give his character like any individuality that he, 
um, his character is kind of portrayed in a way that he's nothing without Ray. Like, if Ray yeah. didn't exist in this film, there'd be no need for Finn. But I don't. Right. I don't see him that way. I just see him as this really caring person, and he's never had anything to care about in his life before. So the first time that he does have this really precious thing that he values, why wouldn't he want to protect it? Of course, yeah. And I think it's not so bad in this film. I think it's 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 more of a problem in um, The Rise of Skywalker, where that literally is a lot of his characters just wondering where Rey is or yelling out to Rey. It's not all, but um, I, I think that's mostly where that criticism and meme comes from is the rise of Skywalker. But you are right that I wasn't even thinking about it. My note was, where's Rey? Oh, they're in love. Quote, unquote, or, you know. Look at you, you big old softy. I'm a big old softy. Uh, okay, I don't have anything until um, the temple oh, or the island. Yeah, being on the island. That's That's my next note, too. And it's where I begin my journey of Luke. Okay. Uh, before you get into that, I just have a really small note about the island. I just, I love this island. And I'll probably mention it a couple times as we're talking throughout this film. But it's really beautiful. It's really pretty. Like, this was a fantastic place for them to film it. Like, I'm, I literally, every time it comes on uh, to the screen, I'm just so happy just to look at the background. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's and the fact that it's a real place, like that it it's not like in um the prequels where like of course a lot of those places were real and everything, but like a, a great deal of them, you know, were made into CGI environments later, you know, on right, a, right. a stage. Like that island is the island. Everything that you see there is real. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I love that. And I think it's, I think it really, like, gives you a real look at who Ryan Johnson is as a director and really goes back to those, like, Lucas roots of him going to Tunisia and filming there and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. I think before we also... I feel like you're going to have a lot to say, uh, so I just wanted to point out the uh, blaster shot on Luke's hand as we see him reaching for the lightsaber. What uh, fantastic attention to detail, because um, I'm sure most of you know, but just in case uh, if there are any of our listeners who don't, Luke's hand gets, shots, gets shot in episode six, his robotic hand. Right, whenever he jumps onto Jabba's sail barge. Yeah, and those... Those are the visual callbacks to older films that I think just really make Star Wars amazing. Yeah, they are. It's very Dave Filoni. Very Dave Filoni. Okay, go ahead, Brent. I'm, I have a few notes here, but I, I'm excited to see what you have to say. All right, so Luke, right? Um, as, as it like ended with the first film, and then it picks up here... You can tell by Luke's face, he is not happy to see that lightsaber again. Right. Which you would think right. that he would be happy to get this family heirloom that his mentor passed on to him, like one of the people he cared about most, to for it to be back and to have that piece of history and family back in his life. But he obviously uh -huh. he obviously does not. And uh -huh. even his he reaches out for the lightsaber to take it. 
it's very like minuscule, but I think it's also very powerful. Like his hands are like visibly shaking. Mm-hmm. Both of it, his real hand and his robotic hand are visibly shaking. And then while he's holding that lightsaber, you can just really tell in Mark Hamill's face here all of the memories that come with that lightsaber. And you can tell that he's physically remembering everything that's happened in his life because of this lightsaber. Yeah. And then he just tosses it away with an angry look on his face, which I think is, as we get more into this half of the film, I think is very true to his character. Yeah. So, okay. Um, I actually really hate the lightsaber throw uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of memory behind um and not to interrupt your thought but if we just think about those memories none of them are very happy no you're right none of them are there are some happy memories um but frick i lost my train of thought okay it was my fault go ahead no no that's okay um i'll just cut out all the silence uh (laughs) okay so as you said there was all that those memories behind it um but it to me and i i've actually seen a lot of people make this comparison online and i can't wait to talk about it um more but it just felt like they were trying to do luke as yoda the the hermit on the on the island the hermit in the forest um it was you know the funny like haha i'm throwing the lightsaber and i'm walking to my uh my room and closing the door on you and i'm not gonna open it and it it really comes down to the whole soft reboot nature of this series ray is now luke luke is now yoda and i'm not gonna lie and i actually agree a lot with what you're saying about luke Mm. and as we've been talking you have changed my mind on a lot of things but this is one of my biggest problems with luke and how they handled him is they basically just transition him to yoda and a lot of people kind of made the jokes like uh, i saw a meme when this first came out talking about yoda and all, or luke and all the things he did on the island and they're like oh yeah everybody hates how they handled luke but i'm not actually talking about luke i'm talking about yoda um so yes sorry to just summarize my thoughts Luke is now Yoda, and I, I don't like that they went that direction with him. And I'm so glad that you said that, because I have so many notes about Luke and Yoda, and I can't wait to counterpoint all of the things that you just said. Cool, cool. Um, okay, I, I definitely have more on that, but we can get there as we do. I don't think I have anything until we see the Porgs. Yeah, no, that was my next note, too, is just Porgs. I like them. Porgs. I love Porgs. I know, they're so cute. Uh, they're, they're wonderful one little my, creatures. They're one of my favorite creatures they uh, added within this trilogy. Yeah, no, they were. I thought they were interesting little guys, and I like them. Yeah. Uh, we also <laughs> see Luke's ship in the water. Right, but how was there a little bitty part of you that wanted the Porgs to activate the lightsaber and kill the other Porg? Yes. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. It is like awful. First time as I that... watched it. Last time I watched it. That's how I felt. Yeah, as awful as that sounds, and it has nothing to do with anything. It's just every time I see this part, I'm like, 
it would have been kind of funny to just see the Porg activate the lightsaber and just completely, like, have the other Porg just be destroyed by it. Right, yeah, no, that would have, that would have been hilarious. It would have been, but also very sick. But yes, let's talk about the Drowned X-Wing. The Drowned X-Wing, just chilling down there. It's probably fine, it can survive in space. Yeah. Yeah. What's the ocean? Just a little water. Some erosion. Come on. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. There's a lot in this scene. Like these little flashes to different things. And I yeah, I love I the drowned have... X-Wing. I love that. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, I, okay, so do you think Luke landed in the water and got out before it sank? Or did he land on the island use the force to lower it into the water, and then cut himself off from the force. Yes, to the second one. Cool. Okay, that's what I think, too. I've got a question for you. Was that a red kyber crystal hanging up in Luke's room? Yeah, it was Vader's. Yeah, okay, cool. That's that's what I thought, uh, but I just wanted to double-check. Which is interesting. Yeah, that he held on to it. Yeah, I mean, you'd think... That he went and he's he's like made it into a necklace, right? That's why I have a problem kind of with the lightsaber throws. He he still has this attachment. He held on to he held on to his father's Sith Kyber crystal, but then just tosses the lightsaber like that. That was Darth Vader's lightsaber. Darth Vader who killed countless Jedi, who killed Obi Wan who tortured Han, but he tosses Anakin's lightsaber, his actual father, the one he fought so hard to serve, or not survive, the one he fought so hard to bring back, to save. That's the S word I was looking for. I think it's a reminder of how far we can fall and how quickly yeah. we can, and that nobody, nobody's above... Um falling to the dark side but also coming back from it but i think with the crystal it's a reminder of no matter how powerful we think we are and how good we think we are we can always fall to the dark side yeah yeah no i i will give you that um my next note is good for chewy uh destroying the door well there's one other little small detail after the crystal it shows a little shelf with like some pots uh-huh. And then there's this compass-looking object. So that compass-looking object is... Um, I don't know if it's alluded to in a book or a comic. I'm sure it is. But in um, the Battlefront 2 game, the most recent one, uh, one of the last missions you play as Luke, and it's Luke going to this um, planet controlled by the Empire, and it's where uh, Palpatine has one of his... Um, hidden caches of yeah like jedi stuff and uh just galactic republic era things right and right that compass is actually a star map to the island and that's why luke has that okay i i've seen uh i as i mentioned on the podcast before i haven't played through all of battlefront 2 yet uh, but i have actually seen that scene uh, popped up on YouTube or TikTok somewhere. It's a really good scene. Yeah, it's, but I didn't put cool. two and two that that map was the same one in the Last Jedi or that compass. Yep. Now we can talk about Chewie. 
Good for Chewie. Breaking that door down, not just sitting around waiting. Why would he? It's Chewie. He's gonna... He knocks doors in. Um, so when he first runs in, we see... So obviously it's for the audience, uh, but I wrote, why does Ray translate for Chewie? I just like, again, it was for the audience. It makes sense. But in universe, that doesn't really make sense. Luke has spent way more time with Chewie. Yeah, I think it's another one of those times where you're just not suspending your disbelief for the I audience. know, I know. I just got to suspend my disbelief. Uh, but this is actually one of my leads into one of my biggest uh, problems with this film is we don't get to see Luke's reaction to Chewie talking about Han. And obviously we know what happens. Uh, you don't want to just sit an expedition dump to your audience, especially things they already know. But this could have been a really powerful scene. And they kind of just skip over it. Like, where's Han? It cuts. And the next thing it cuts back to is they're talking about, you know, needing him to come back. Um, I'm just sad we we missed that conversation and Luke's reaction. Oh, I mean, I'm not trying to explain things away here, but it's not like Luke's dumb. If Chewie's there and the Falcon's there... And Han's not. Obviously, the worst has happened. Because Luke knows that Han would never just leave the Falcon, like, on purpose. I mean, he's lost it before, you know, let other people use it. But if Chewie's there and the Falcon's there, those are, you know, there's three ingredients to Star Wars. And that's Han, Chewie, and the Falcon. Right. And if If one of those ingredients is missing... Then something terrible has happened. Oh no! no, no I, think, I, I think it would have been agree. cool to have seen that that conversation as well, and just the heartbreak that Luke would have for Han. Yeah, and this you know goes back to my note I had about the Force Awakens, where we you know we see Leia and Chewie walk past each other, which you completely changed my mind on Chewie, but um, I still would have liked to have seen. Even if it was later, just something between Chewie and Leia. Um, and, you know, something between Chewie and Luke. Uh, showing how these characters are grieving with the loss of Han. Because really the only one we get to see is Chewie. Yeah. Um, but I like how it goes from, you know, Luke saying, where's Han? To immediately we get that close-up of Kylo Ren's face. Yeah, yeah, no, that was really good. Um, really good cinematography, really good storytelling. Yeah, I like that cut. Uh, okay, my next note is, oh look, Snoke's real. He is he's real. real. He's a real person, not just a hologram. And I love Kylo Ren entering that chamber and the look that him and Huck share with each other. Mm-hmm. Of You know, because it, it has Kylo entering the room while Hux and Snoke are finishing talking, and Hux is like, uh, sorry, Snoke is, you know, telling Hux, like, how, not like how proud he is of him, but he's like, oh, good job, like, we've got the, uh, resistance right where we run, right where we want them, like, I'm glad that everything's panned out, good job, Hux, and then, of course, yeah. Hux gives Ren that face of, like, haha, I got you. I got you. Um... So Hux leaves, and then we get one of my favorite lines in the film, 
uh, Snoke says, weakness properly manipulated can be a sharp tool. Yeah, Snoke's a pretty manipulative guy. Yeah. Um, man, I Snoke's lines in this film were just so good. His character in and of itself is, is awesome in this movie. Yeah. Which, um, my next note is um, also a Snoke line. He mentions uh, how Kylo Ren could have been a new Vader, which makes a lot more sense now that we know about the whole Palpatine twist. Right, and since we're going on Snoke lines here, I really like how he tells him to take off that dumb mask. Yeah, yeah. It's so great. Um, which, as we talked about, I think I really like the mask. It just looks a lot better with the hood on. Yeah, it definitely looks better with the hood. And then we get to see that Snoke is not just this figurehead of this large military organization. He is also um, connected to the Force. Yeah, see, lightning shocks, Force lightning shocks, I almost said Ray Kylo Ren, um... And, like, he bounces this man. Right. Well, he shoots it at the ground, and then it refracts off the ground onto Kylo. And hits him. Yeah. Which is cool. Because anytime literally... we've seen Force Lightning before, it's just a direct shot at whoever it's being fired upon. But Snoke right. was like, no, I'm going to be cool. It it was nice to see a different application of something we've seen multiple times throughout the film. It felt right. Refreshing. And his, even his Force Lightning is, it's almost purple. Compared to, like, the standard blue. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to go back and look at that again. I don't know if I necessarily noticed, I'm, but... I could be wrong. Um, it just looks like it has a more purple hue to it. Yeah, and, and it could be I the could room. I could definitely be wrong. Um, I, I just, I didn't notice. Um, Snoke says a line specific, specifically about um, taking out the resistance or something after this. I, I can't remember exactly what it is, or maybe trying to find Luke or something. I don't know, but I literally just wrote, why don't you snuff it out, Snoke, you lazy? That's true. He probably could, but that's the thing about these Sith, man. They never just do things themselves. They always have right. some great machination that has to come to fruition because that that's how Sith work. They make these giant, grandiose plans, plans. and then they have to be carried out by an underling. Right. Why, why be so... Why be so powerful if you have to do all the work yourself? You know, at that point, just make someone else do it. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, like, after the Force Lightning, the uh, the Praetorian Guards, we get, like, right. kind of our first shot of them besides um, just standing there in the background. Yeah. And I really like what they did with the Guards here. I think these are my favorite out of the, the three. Um, you know, we get the... Praetorian guards, we get, um, I can't remember what they were called in the original trilogy, but the red guards, and then Palpatine had his, like, blue guards in the original trilogy. I know they all have a name, I just can't remember them off the top of my head. Right, I think in the OT, I think they're royal guards or something. Yeah, something like, they're, like that. They're Palpatine's private security but I always wanted to see them do something because they look so cool, and we actually get to see them do something in this film, which we'll talk about later. Right, because in episode three, you know, we just see them standing there, and then Yoda comes in and just hits them against the wall. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, wait. So, while we're talking about them doing something, you had a question uh, in our last episode about the why does the First Order have lightsaber-resistant weapons? And I'm going to go on a long tangent about this later, but we're talking about the the guards here now. Their weapons are obviously lightsaber-resistant. I think it was not just because of Luke, but also because of the Knights of Ren. And I have a long tangent about the Knights of Ren coming up. But um, I think right now the Knights of Ren pose the biggest threat to Snoke. Well, that also makes sense that you bring that up. And because the only reason why the Praetorian Guards move is because Kylo, whenever him and um, Snoke are having that talk, he reaches for his lightsaber to, like, fight Snoke. And that's why the Praetorian Guards draw their weapons. I didn't notice that. That's really interesting. And with what I'm going to talk about, here in a little bit that makes a lot more sense great i'm so excited i'm so excited okay i don't have oh no i've got one note on the mass break but that's the last thing i have on this scene okay i just have one last snoke note i like that maybe that snoke should note. be a, a private segment snoke notes snoke note okay sounds good um i love his line here uh a child in a mask mm-hmm I love how he keeps referring to the mask and the whole Vader lineage and the Skywalker blood and to just tell Kylo flat out, like, you're basically just this child on Halloween dressing up as this person who was so strong in the dark side and you're nothing. Gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss, get him, Snoke. <laughs> girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I think that's one of your greatest lines you've ever said on this show. Thank you. No, I'm um, ready to talk about the broken helmet. Okay, uh, so I think this is an incredibly powerful scene. And I think it it's really important for Kylo Ren's character, and I really hope the next movie doesn't take that back. Yeah, that would, that would suck, but That'd mine, be a mine real is more shame. of like a... A cosmetic thing is that whenever he, you know, punches it into the wall of the elevator, whenever he looks back at it, you know, they play like the Vader theme in the background because now the helmet, while it's been, you know, bent and distorted and stuff, has a great resemblance to Vader's helmet now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I think... This scene here has a lot to do with a line that Kylo says later to gotcha. to Ray. So if you'll remind me whenever we get there, it's in my notes, but just remind me to make that connection again. Okay, cool. Uh, you ready to talk about the the next scene with Luke and Ray? Yep, I'm right there with you, buddy. Okay, so we get uh, we get luke referring to the lightsaber as a laser sword which we talked about in our last episode but anytime the laser sword is mentioned it's either ignorance or i feel like mocking um of the actual lightsaber like uh anakin skywalker referred to it laser sword because he was a child he didn't know and luke here and i think some of the empire generals may have also referred to it as a laser sword but it's 
it is in a mocking tone. Hmm. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I like how you said that there's two instances where it's called a laser sword and you pointed that out. That was cool. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then really, um, I just noted again that the island is really pretty. Yeah, no, it's just, um, that's funny. That was my exact note is um, Luke's line right there is that he says, you know, Ray explains how dire the circumstances are and uh, Luke retorts with what you just want me to, you know, pull out a laser sword and face out and face down the whole first order. Yeah, I love it. I do. I just, I, I love that that's his answer after Ray explains the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, my next note is get that milk, Luke. No worse than us drinking cow, cow's milk. Prove me wrong. Okay. So this is, I have one thing before the green milk okay, because cool. I also have a green milk note. So after Ray and Luke's whole conversation there, you know, he like goes back to his hut to start gathering his things for his daily routine. Right. And I think it really, excuse me, sorry, after that whole talk that he has with Ray, um, it shows, it starts to show why Luke is the way he is here and why he, he wound up like this. And he wasn't this amazing hero that we saw him as this last time. And yeah. I'm going to hammer it a lot throughout my next couple of notes. Well, as we continue with the movie, I mean, um, why Luke is the way he is. Luke hides after his failure, just yeah. like Yoda. And I know yeah. you said the whole Luke and Yoda thing, but here's why it makes sense. Luke is only doing what he learned. Right. Right. Which he saw it from two of the people that he reveres the most because they were the only Jedi he had around to teach him. But Ben hid after his failure because that's what Yoda told him to do. Yeah. Yeah, no. And Yoda I, went and um, hid after his failure of not defeating Palpatine. So right. in my head, you know, people have that problem with Luke with this film, and I'm like, Luke's only doing what he was trained to do. Yeah. And I just being honest, I actually agree with you a lot on Luke's character and like it making sense the actions he makes, but a lot of it again he is a casualty of the soft reboot nature uh as you said he and as i mentioned earlier it's very much just like yoda uh, he's now taking that position within the film and while i i can definitely agree like after everything luke went through between ben's betrayal all his students dying the first order returning and his failure like yeah i, I agree it makes sense that he went and hid but it's the fact that outside of the universe they decided to go with this soft reboot nature like i don't want to be told yoda's story again right but i think it i think it just it explains luke's character in this film and that that's all i'm trying to do is just explain his character because to me it makes sense that he would yeah. wind up like this because it's all he knows i mean sure he's been on the island with the jedi techs which we'll get into that too here in a second, but what's the use of having all this knowledge if you know you're just destined to fail? Right. Because right. that's and all he's seen. Yeah, and I 
I completely agree with you on that. Yeah, so green milk. I have a, a note about green milk. Yeah, I just, um, you know, a lot of people thought it was really gross. I know it's gross watching him, like, milk the creature and immediately drink it, but it I really don't think it's any worse than us drinking cow's milk or goat milk or whatever. Yeah, no, it's so the cool ape. thing about yeah. those creatures is if you watch the, um, the, like, making of The Last Jedi, those creatures were, um... I mean, obviously, they're part CGI, as we see them. But for the most part, they were a practical prop that Ryan Johnson had to have helicoptered in to the <laughs> island and set them up there. And they had to do yeah. it in pieces because the creature was so heavy and yeah. the weather changes so much out there. Um, they had to do it in, in pieces and then assemble it there on the island. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Glad to see they're... I mean, I know they use some CGI, but it's nice to see they're still using practical effects. Which also, we haven't mentioned, uh, the reason there were porgs is because there was a species of, I believe, penguins or puffins on that island, and they couldn't just get rid of all of them. So they created the porgs so they could just CJ around the creatures that were already there, right? Yeah, all the, cre all yeah. the porgs that you see are actually those little birds, that whatever species right. of bird they are. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're a penguin or a puffin. I just, I can't remember which. There's something. Um, but that's a great way to handle a situation. Yeah. You know, a lot better than just, you know, removing that entire population of bird. Yeah. No, I love um, just the whole, like, Luke's daily routine scene. But I really want to know what's in Luke's little backpack that he carries around the whole time during this million scene. million dollars. Who knows? Um, I, I want to talk about the pole vault scene, if you're there. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so we get to see him pole vault across the ocean between, um, one island to the next. They might be connected, um, but, and then he uses that to, uh, stab a fish and, uh, get his dinner. That, I mean, I'm not saying a human being couldn't do that but it just felt a little like he was it felt like the force should be helping him out there which we obviously know he's disconnected himself from the force yeah but i mean after being connected to the force for so long i figured something's just become second nature and it's not like he's afraid yeah. of anything anymore so right right gotta no, get i definitely I, th I thought of that too is like he had to have used the force a little bit a little bit yeah yeah which but that goes to ray's line later which we can talk about more is she's she could not sense luke at all when she was sensing the force yeah. um so i don't know i feel like it doesn't actually but it just kind of feels like a little bit of a contradiction because yes he technically could have done that without the force but like we mentioned it felt like he was a little yeah are you ready to talk about the tree? I'm ready to talk about the tree. Okay. The Jedi text. Yeah, so I don't know if it was just me being nostalgic or anything, but the tree obviously reminds me a lot of, like, um, kind of like the cave on Dagobah and just the, like, sounds. The sounds mm -hmm. that Ray experiences while going, and I'm not talking about, like, the whispering in the background, just the ambient sounds 
while she's there, it sounds a lot like Dagobah. Like all the little creatures yeah. in the background and stuff, it sounds extremely close to Dagobah, which, which I just thought was we cool. Get, we get very similar, um, you know, scenes between like, which will come later. They're different, but, um, you know, Luke, he goes in and he fights Darth Vader and then it's revealed that, ah, oh, it's Luke behind the mask. Right. Uh, and then we get a very similar scene, very different, but very similar at the same time with Ray, which we can talk about later. But uh, again, just some more parallels between Dagobah and this Jedi temple. Yeah. Um. Oh, uh, my next note, I think it's just, it was nice hearing Luke referring to the Jedi as a religion. Nothing major, just, I like that line. Well, I mean, because at their core, that's what they were, was a religion, which we yeah. talked about it before, is what they strayed so far away from and became, you know, generals and soldiers, and that's never right. what they were meant to be. Which, we're going to talk about a lot here, is why they needed to die. All right. I like the dialogue between Ray and Luke, where he's, you know, he just keeps asking the question, like, who are you? Why are you here? Right. And I think specifically the line where Ray says she's from nowhere and Luke says, you know, nobody's from nowhere. You know, everybody's yeah. from somewhere. And she says, well, I'm, I'm from Jakku. And he's like, oh, that really is nowhere. It's nowhere. But it's I, a I hilarious think, line. Yeah. And not just for like the comedy part of it, of Luke's answer there, but I think it also shows that Luke sees so much of himself in Ray. And I think that also explains a lot of the reason why he won't train her. Yeah. Is that he sees yeah. so much of himself in this character that he hasn't even really gotten to know yet, but he's like, wow, this is very similar to my story, and I know how that one turns out, and it's not very good. Right. Right. He doesn't want her to follow the same path as him. Right. Which, again, goes into the same... The, my same note about the soft reboot. She should have had her own story! Let's see. Uh, I really love Ray's speech that follows that about um feeling like something's always been inside her i feel like that's really powerful it was yeah. really well written it it gives her like an everyman quality which we talked about last film you know yeah uh with who were we referring to with that was it uh boba fett boba fett and phasma yeah um yeah, I think it gives her that everyman quality is we all feel like in our own stories that we're, of course, the hero or we think ourselves right. to be the hero and that we all have this thing inside of us that we just we want to know what it is and know more about it. And so I, I like that about her. Yeah. And I like that uh, Luke says he came to this island to die. Yeah. And that's actually my big note. And I think this goes really big into my point about why... It's not that I don't like Luke. I, I completely agree with what you're saying about him, like, cutting himself off and being depressed and just accepting his failure. But here he says it's time for the Jedi to end. And that... It's not necessarily a problem with Luke. It's a problem with the fact that we actually already saw that in Episode 3. The, the Jedi did end. Luke is... Luke is right. I completely agree with Luke. The Jedi had failed. And just like you'd said, they'd become warriors and generals when it, they were supposed to be uh, a religion. They're supposed to be monks. 
they he's right he's completely right but they did die i really believe like the jedi purge was the force rebalancing itself it was a part of the force rebalancing itself um and so i think it's really frustrating because again this comes down to my own expectations and not managing them properly but i really wanted to see a a better Jedi Order, a Jedi Order that had rebalanced itself, a Jedi Order that had returned to its roots of being a religion and not warriors. And so I would, I really wanted to see that with Luke, but of course we get this off reboot nature. Ray gets Luke's, Ray, um, Ray gets Luke's story, um, and so you know everything gets started over. The Jedi get purged. Luke now becomes Yoda, quote unquote, and then it, now it's up to Ray to go through Luke's story again and then eventually restart the Jedi Order for a second time. So I think I think the problem with Luke's comment there, where he says, you know, the Jedi need to die. I came here to die. I Just like the Jedi, I am the last of this ancient religion. Yeah. And I think people take that comment at surface level. I think Luke was saying something much more deeper. And you're 100% right. We had seen the Jedi die. But it that wasn't what Luke was saying. Luke was saying it was time for the ideals of the Jedi to die and change. Yeah. Because we had seen no. them... Yeah, no, I, it's exactly I, what you're I saying. I completely agree. I completely no, agree. No, I'm just saying for everybody else that has a problem with Luke and his character yeah. in this film, is they just they take that comment at surface level of... Luke has just given up. He's not the Luke that we knew. When that's not true, he's the exact same Luke. He's just been right. through life. It's like, yeah. Why did Yoda go to Dagobah? He went there to die. To die. Yeah. He didn't go yeah, there to restart the Jedi Order or help people along. Ben was on Tatooine just to protect Luke, and Yoda was on Dagobah to die. Right. Right. And so. You know, I that's that's what I was really hoping was to see Luke restart the Jedi Order with better ideals. I guess would be the right way to phrase it. But that's not Luke's character, right? No, I know. And but again, it comes down to it's not even Luke's. It's not Luke's fault. It's the direction the um, Disney and uh, Lucasfilms went soft rebooting it, and again. I've said it a couple times, but this film and the characters within it are just a casualty, uh, a consequence of the sins of its predecessor. Well, I mean, you think we, we talked about it in whenever we were doing the original trilogy. Luke's biggest problem is he's always looking to at, at where he wants to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can always look to the future, but if you're right. not grounded in the present, you can't possibly hope to achieve that future that you're looking at because you're not no, willing exactly. to take the time and steps to get to that future and so he's just doomed to repeat the mistakes from his predecessors because he's doing things the same exact way right um and that's what i was you know hoping luke would learn and we actually see through now the mandalorian and uh boba fett and through some of the comics which i'm going to talk about here in a little bit luke was actually working incredibly hard to restart the jedi order yeah yeah and like that sucks what happened to him 
Like that, it's not just like, oh, Luke one day gave up. Like his nephew betrayed him and all of his students were killed. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing is that um, even though we didn't have like all of those backstories and stuff whenever this movie came out, I think people just got so wrapped up in not seeing the Luke that we saw in Return of the Jedi is that they weren't willing to think about, okay, how did Luke get to this point? What what went so wrong in his life that he isn't willing to stand up to the entire First Order with a laser sword? Right, and I, I really, I really do agree with you. What was presented and what happened to Luke, it makes perfect sense what got him here. Um... My biggest problem is the... What am I trying to say? It really comes down to the Yoda parallel and the... I'm totally fine with him giving up, being a hermit, going to die. But it just when he says things like, the Jedi need to die, it's just like... He, did, he didn't learn. It, and that's that's, that's Luke's great. That's Luke's greatest failure, though, it's is Luke's he never learned. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We should um, probably talk about Leia and Poe. Oh, yeah, sorry, I was like, I thought, I don't know, I was thinking Ray, and I was like, I don't think they have any scenes together in this film, but yes. Yeah. I wrote, good for Leia, hit him again. Yeah, no, I I love Leia's line here about how, you know, uh, Poe hits her with, you know, there were heroes on that mission, and she gives it right back to him, and she says, dead heroes. Dead heroes, yeah. No leaders. Yes. Yeah. Which is obviously a stab at him because he was leading that mission. He was supposed to be a leader. And instead of being a leader, he wanted to be a hero. And now all of those heroes are dead. Are dead. He he led them to their deaths. Um, They could have escaped just fine. I mean, obviously we know with what's happening later, they couldn't escape just fine. But as far as they knew at the time, they could have just escaped and gotten away. Right. And then, of course, seeing our old friend Admiral Akbar. Admiral Akbar, you son of a gun! You son Love of a gun. Love that guy. Hope he doesn't get killed in the next ten minutes. That would be upsetting. That would be really upsetting. Um, uh, I don't have anything till we see Snoke's ship. Uh, yeah. I thought you would want to talk about light speed tracking and where that comes from. Okay, that actually is right after. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so, uh, no, I just, it was just a visual note. I really like Snoke's ship. I think it looks cool. It reminds me a lot of, um, and I'm glad you said the World War II thing earlier. It reminds me of, like, one of those really old, big bombers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, I really like that the inspiration is so clear here. Yeah, they did a very good job of that with these, with these films. Yeah. Uh, okay, so light speed tracking. I I honestly just, my only note was I thought it was a really good evolution of technology, as we mentioned um, earlier with the First Order just feeling like a more advanced version of the Empire. Right, and it being a callback to uh, one of my least favorite films, Rogue One. Rogue One. I actually, okay, I haven't watched Rogue One in a very long time. Do they mention light speed tracking in that film? Yes, they do. Whenever um, Cassian and What's-Her-Face are there to steal the Death Star plans while they're looking through the database of everything, 
they're talking about all these different projects and stuff and looking through everything. And one of the things they mention is light speed tracking. Oh, interesting. And that like as yeah, like as a potential project they're gonna work on. Yeah, that the uh, that the empire was working on. Oh, okay, good callback. Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay, so then we get uh, the first order attacking, uh, attacking the resistance. I keep led by Kylo Ren. By Kylo Ren, and uh, I just noted that I think it's really smart of Kylo to attack the hangar. A horrible thing to do, but in terms of combat, it was a smart move. Wiping yeah, out, I mean, yeah, wiping out their fighters. And I really like, um, I like Kylo's ship. I do too. It's really, it's really cool. It looks I, very I just menacing. Love the ship designs in this these trilogies. Yeah, this it looks. Tri- I guess all the trilogies, but it's very like clean, sharp lines. You know, it, it's different without being too different. It doesn't look like anybody's ship from the past. You know. Yeah. Um. It's it's unique. That's Kylo's ship. And then on another visual note. Uh, I really love seeing the blasts explode off the force field of the resistant ships. I don't think any other sci-fi films have handled that so well because like or just visually so well. It just looked good. Yeah, it was cool to see the barrage like going at their at their shields and everything. Yeah, and then like visually exploding off the shield and not on the ship. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely like that they put that in. I, I have a, a note about Kylo Ren's flying. Oh yeah, go ahead. He he you know you know a good trick, Elijah, whenever you're piloting a starfighter. You know a good trick. And that would be spinning. It's always a good trick. I wrote I specifically wrote spinning, just like grandpa. Just like grandpa would be so proud. Grandpa would be so proud. <laughs> Actually, grandpa is incredibly disappointed. But not Grandpa Vader. Uh, gra- okay, in the sense that you know Vader and Anakin are different people, but Grandpa Anakin's disappointed. And, oh, he's proud of the flying, not proud of the character arc overall. <laughs> <laughs> the character choices are poor, but the flying. Absolutely immaculate. Yeah, gotta <laughs> give him credit where they can. Uh, my next note is uh, good for Kylo for not killing his mom. You get a gold star. Yes. And another thing here is um, the again just that sense of there's no hope. Whenever he blows up that hangar bay and all of their ships are now gone. I mean, they have right. no they don't, no option for uh, a counterattack. Or to defend themselves from these fighters. Yeah. They just have to take it. Well, I mean, they do have the hope of just getting out of range, but in terms of a counterattack, you're right, there's no option. Which I really like before we see that internal struggle of Kylo, um, how Poe and Leia are on the same page, even though they're in completely different parts of the ship, how... You know, Poe says, we've got to get this ship turned around and get out of range so the fighters will go back to the ship. Yeah. Which, like, Poe kind of starts the sentence and Leia finishes it. Yeah. But it was cool to see, like, Poe kind of make that small character evolution with just one line. Mm Mm-hmm. And the fact that he, sometimes he does think 
about the greater right. good and what should be going on in a war. Right. And I really I really don't hate Poe as a character. I actually really like Poe as a character. Um I just think that, you know, his arrogance can be a detriment to it and gets himself in trouble. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And then to talk about that Kylo Ren internal struggle, I like how they did the uh the old um like I call it like face flash where it goes from uh-huh. Leia to Kylo to back to Leia whenever you know that they're making that um force connection. That force connection. Yeah. I really like how they use that from from the original trilogy. Okay, so and I, I really liked the again just subverting okay, I I know I critique this film for subverting expectations not well, uh overall but i really like how they subvert our expectation here we think that kylo's gonna kill his mom he doesn't and then another ship flies in and blows up their what is it the cockpit the bridge the bridge yeah a little too too large to be a cockpit yeah it's all right i have a small question for you here before we get to the thing and that's like, I was absolutely devastated to see Leia blow up on the bridge. Yeah, but I was too. I remember whenever we first watched it together, and then um, even this viewing, thinking the same thing is, I I would have been okay with Leia dying like that. That that literally is my note. I wrote, rip Admiral Akbar. Leia should have also died. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, especially, I know that, like, the way they were trying to make these films is they wanted each film to focus on a different member of the original trio. So Force Awakens was Han's film, uh, The Last Jedi is Luke's film, and then The Rise of Skywalker was supposed to be uh, Leia's film, which obviously we didn't get to see because of Carrie Fisher's passing. Um, so looking at it in context, like you're completely right. First time I watched it, I wish not wished but i would have been okay with leia dying but like even watching it now like i really do wish they just killed her off here yeah i would have been okay with it and it would have had a lot of impact too i think i i I really think so too and if they were gonna kill him off you know maybe they should have had kylo fire it maybe all right are you ready to talk about leia poppins yes i literally just wrote i'm mary poppins y'all yeah, I know I get and see that's the other thing that I didn't really understand about why I mean I get why it gets made fun of the scene. I get it. But it was also like from the old EU and stuff and Leia being a Jedi in those books and everything. I didn't understand why people were so upset about this scene. Like it is cheesy, it's easy to make fun of, but it's like wouldn't you be happy that you finally get to see the like Leia use the force because it's mentioned in Jedi, you know, Luke straight out says that she has the force and that she's able to use the force. No, I completely agree. And this goes into one of my other biggest complaints about this trilogy as a whole is Leia should have been a Jedi. And again, she just was a casualty of the soft reboot nature. They couldn't, they had to keep her as a resistance general, but she should have been a Jedi, and um, it's not so much a problem in this film, but 
in the next film I'm gonna have a lot of notes because I I really hate the way they handled that whole situation yeah that that was my only thing about the the Leia Poppins is I was like wouldn't everybody everybody be more happy to see Leia using the force and be like wow it is true she's force sensitive just like Luke yeah and she can obviously use the force pretty well which means she's probably had training Right, right. And I I agree. I thought it was really cool seeing her use the Force. I think the whole Poppins thing was a little... eh, But it was cool seeing Leia use the Force. It it was a little bit silly in a way, yeah. But Star Wars is a little bit silly. Yeah. 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 Um... My last note for the scene is Finn, you dum-dum, as he picks up the little tracker thing so that Ray, um, the coded binary tracker so yeah. that Ray could find them. I mean, he only cares about one thing in this world. He only cares about one thing and that's Ray. And you know what? Nothing wrong with that. Really hope they don't give him two other love interests. I'm sorry. Who does he only care about? Ray? Or did I say Leia? No. What? What's her name again? Ray? No, you see, it's more like this. Ray! <laughs> Stop gaslighting me, man. I thought I'd been saying her name wrong this whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I feel so bad for Chewie, though, to get us back on track here. That that literally was my next note. He just wanted a snack. He's he always hungry. Chewie is always hungry, and he never gets to eat the things that he wants to eat. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to make this note a couple more times as we review this film. He is going through too much emotional trauma to be dealing with these porgs. I, I have a very Let similar note eat. here in a minute. I have a very similar note here in a bit. Yeah. Um, but I also I really, like how, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I don't know why, and maybe I had noticed it before, but it really stuck out to me today while I was watching... Um, Luke sneaking on board the Falcon in the background. I always just focused on Chewie so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? When I was watching it, I thought it was... I was focusing on Chewie. I knew someone went into the Falcon, and I I thought it was Ray at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really... This, I think, parallels really well to um, Han's scene in The Force Awakens. Uh, just seeing Luke kind of explore the Falcon again. Yeah. And that I wrote just iconic. The the cockpit sound as the Falcon like turns on mm-hmm. as Luke enters the cockpit. It's just such a good like so many good sounds in Star Wars and that that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um You want to talk about the dice? We can talk about the dice. I love and hate the dice. Like I think it's really good like we learn in Solo that the dice have importance, but Solo came out after The Last Jedi, so we had literally no context. Um, and so, I mean, it set up that film in a little bit, at least that that part of the film. Well, the um, dice have always been there. Have they? The dice have been there. Huh. They've always been there. I'm gonna look this up. Okay, go ahead. I, I am, I, you know, I applaud you for... Fact-checking me, but the dice have always been there, my friend. I 
you know what i will i will believe you i've never noticed that so that was going to be my my next point of like it doesn't feel like what's the point of these dice but if they've always been there i will give it to you the reunion of luke and r2 is so like it's so genuine like it it feels real and it makes you feel like R2 is a living, breathing character. And yes, I know it'll make you bring up your droids or sentient. Our droids sentient, my friend. There we go. Um, but no, it, it just, it makes it feel so real. And just the, I think it's a real testament to Mark Hamill's acting. Honestly. Yeah. And the fact that he can make things that aren't alive feel alive. Feel alive. Yeah, Mark Hamill is a fantastic actor and a fantastic voice actor which i won't go on a long tangent but like if you haven't listened to any of the stuff that uh he's done for voice acting you definitely should it's really good and if you think you've never heard mark hamill voice acting you definitely have you most likely have he's voice acted some really iconic characters yeah he's done a lot of cool people but let's stay on star wars yes okay so i'm looking so it might I, I didn't want to watch the film because I would get distracted watching it. Um, I'm looking through pictures inside the uh, the bridge of the Falcon or the cockpit, and I just cannot find the dice. And I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I definitely believe you that they're there. I just, I can't find them. Are you, did you image search? Like, just go, just type in, like, were the dice always in the cockpit of the Falcon? Gotcha. And so this brings me up. Um, we're still on R2 and Luke. And them talking and everything. And Luke trying to explain why he's doing the things he is. And R2 plays the hologram from A New Hope. And I just wrote in my notes, hologram dot 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 my heart. Like that was such a good, it was such a genuine I, scene between two right, characters. Because, like right before that. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. I think I see what might be the dice. I can't completely tell, but I'm gonna move on from this now. I will look up more later. Um, I I love that Luke specifically says, "Nothing's gonna change my mind," and then we get that iconic scene and, um. R2-D2 and Leia through the hologram were actually able to change his mind. <laughs> I also wrote, nothing changes my mind, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Alright, alright. We got him, boys. He's a Sith. Go lock him up. No, I mean... That's actually what I've been trying to prove this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, just hats off to this team, man. Because that, yeah. that was a powerful scene, and it was beautifully it handled really without was. feeling... On the like, nose. Like we talked... Yeah, on the nose with, with callbacks and stuff. Like, that was that was a very powerful scene for me in this film. And yeah. it, it gives me another point is, you know, while he's watching that and remembering how his adventure started, I also think it makes him sit there, because you can tell he's thinking again. Which... Yeah. I think Mark Hamill did such a wonderful job with Luke in this film and portraying him the way that Ryan Johnson wanted him portrayed is Luke really doesn't say a whole lot in this film. It's more yeah. the way that Luke says things or 
the expressions that he uses while he says those things. And like I said, you can tell he's sitting there remembering. And I think with this instance, and this is just my own personal opinion, and he sees the hologram and he remembers everything, I think it also reminds him again that he is not Ben. Right. He's his own person. And that he can't he can't ever achieve what he thought his masters had achieved. Right. And so it, right. it just further enforces that idea of I'm a failure. The only thing left for me to do is what my masters did when they failed. And that is to go somewhere and die. Right. And I, I love, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I love Yoda, but they should not have been idolized. Like Luke shouldn't have idolized them. They, had failed well luke makes a note of that later in the film yeah um okay before we move on have you watched any because uh, i think this is something really interesting to talk about you mentioned mark hamill portraying luke how ryan johnson wanted him to have you watched any of mark hamill's interviews discussing this film and specifically that topic oh um, yeah they're not they're not pretty yeah no i and that that like it just makes me really sad uh because luke loves i'm sorry mark loves luke as much as the rest of us if not more and like just to see that he was unhappy with how he was portrayed he was unhappy with his finale um it just makes me sad because i mean mark hamill i think is important to all of us as star wars fans Well, I think it just really enforced that idea and fueled the fire of people being upset with Ryan Johnson. Yeah. And that that made me sad because he really tried on this film to do great things. And I think he did a lot of wonderful things. But I think Mark Hamill coming out in the interviews in the added... I mean, even if you look at interviews from um, The Force Awakens, he did not have nice things to say about that film either. And... Like, here's the thing. I'm all for, you know, Ryan Johnson trying to do great things, but Mark Hamill has a ton of experience with this series, and his opinion, I just wish, it just comes across like Mark Hamill feels like his opinion didn't matter. And I'm not saying it didn't matter to Ryan Johnson. I don't know how Ryan Johnson didn't, how he handled it or how he actually felt, but to Mark, it at least felt like his opinion and what his thoughts on the character didn't matter. Or that, and that he had been, just, like, slighted in a way. Yeah, and that, that sucks. And um, It does, but do you think... And after this, we'll get off this long tangent about yeah. Mark Hamill. Um, do you think he himself fell victim to that problem that we've discussed previously on the show about building a story in your own head about characters. I mean, Luke is a hundred percent his character. He is Luke that that's his character. And he is entitled to feel about that character any way that he wants to, just like anybody else is. Right. And so I, yes, I do. I, I think you're right. He probably had a vision in his mind on how he wanted Luke to go and the story that Luke followed. And I 100% will say that, you know, my expectations were my problem. I was the run at fault there. But for Mark Hamill, I don't think that, like, I think he's allowed to have those thoughts. I think he's allowed to be upset about 
it not going the way he originally envisioned because he's been uh, because he was Luke for so long and you know uh, Harrison Ford we discussed he always wanted uh, Han Solo to die and we both agree he should have like I think it would have been a great uh, end to his story in episode 6 if he did die but he got that in episode 7 but uh, Mark Hamill I don't think ever really got what he wanted to see from Luke within this trilogy maybe a little bit in episode 9 but um yeah we we can move on from this i just it just makes me sad anytime i see one of those interviews yeah so after this well this next scene of everyone um in that meeting room on the ship uh it's just a small thing uh i love that while they're having this meeting and they're talking about you know we've lost our entire chain of command Leia's the only one left um in the background, you hear the barrage that's of, being fired of, by yeah. the First Order, and I think that's really cool that that's back there. Yeah, no, it really adds to that point you were trying to make of the hopelessness. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so I've got two notes. I actually um, have a few notes here, mostly about Haldo and Poe. Uh, she should have been in The Force Awakens. I think... It would, like, again, it's for, Foresight's 2020, but I think it would have made her character a lot better if we had some reference to her before she took control of the Resistance. Um, her speech about being the last hope in the galaxy, but being a spark, um, I just wrote, the Resistance is the Rebellion, eat my shorts. <laughs> I just like how, well... You know, she's giving that speech um, again. And I'm so happy that you've kept that idea of hopelessness that I told you to remember throughout this film is they actually give us a direct number of how many people are left. Right. Which right. is only yeah. 400 of them left throughout on three, three ships. ships. Yeah. I just thought I was like, cool. We finally know the exact amount of forces we're working with here. Right. Right. And we know I mean, we may not know exactly how big the first order is but we know at least they're big enough to basically have taken control of the galaxy or that they will here in a matter of weeks yeah yeah um and then uh i think poe's line about uh not what i was expecting he's talking about this great uh her being a general um and then not being what he's expecting little sexist there poe Women can be great generals too. Oh my gosh, I don't think that's what he meant. I mean, no, he, I don't. He I just don't heard it... these like stories of this woman who had done all these things. I don't think he was expecting a tall, slender, purple-haired woman. Yeah, woman. No, I uh, I don't necessarily think it was a sexist comment. I just thought it was funny. Um, but I do think it kind of. Even that's if it's not what it meant, it did come across a little bit that way. Girl boss, um, girl boss, gate, gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss. Um, are you gonna sell me some essential oils too? Manipulate male wife. Sell me some essential oils while you're at it too. I will. Um. Okay. So really, just between uh, Haldo and Poe's interactions, I really didn't like either of them here uh haldo should have told poe the plan 
Uh, Poe should have been more respectful. And really all of their arguments throughout this film just feel like two children fighting over a toy. It, it just feels very childish. But that's the idea, is Haldo was treating Poe exactly how Poe has treated everyone else. Everyone. Right, right. Uh, and it's just it shows that both both of them were arrogant. I mean, you can look at it that way, but I think you can also see it as, um, like I said, you know, these characters developing in this film a great deal, especially Poe in yeah. this film. I think Poe grows more in this film than he does in any of them. I, I think no, I said that I, earlier. I completely agree. Um, this is a really important uh, film for him. And sometimes in order to teach people, you have to show them exactly how they're acting and they don't get it yeah. until later on as, oh, this is exactly what I do to everyone else around me. Maybe I shouldn't act like that anymore. Right, right. No, it's it's really important for uh, his character growth. And then are you ready to talk about uh, Finn and Rose? Yeah, I just wrote, oh no, Finn's deserting again. Right. Um, For a different reason, though. I just wrote, oh, sweet Rose. Sweet, sweet Rose. With her dialogue whenever she first meets Finn, and she's just so goofy. And I'm not a huge yeah. Rose fan. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not really either. I, um, and we'll talk about this further on she her rose and the actress uh that portrays her i can't remember her name kelly murray Trail. neither of them deserve the amount of hate that they got i feel like the star wars fan base took it too far but i i really feel like she wasn't written very well especially when and i've got a note on this later um like ray and ray and um kylo's dialogue between the two of them is just so good and then when you compare that to rose and finn it just it's nowhere near as good it feels very, it feels a, lacking but it yeah it also feels like um whenever you think about the next film it's like ryan johnson was like okay let's develop this character so she's not just a side character and then with Rise of Skywalker, it just completely got left in the dust. Right, she just got sidelined, which is, and you know, I'm probably going to mention this every every episode while we're talking about the trilogies. Um, J.J. Abrams directed one, Ryan Johnson directed the next one, J.J. Abrams directed the last one. They had completely different views, it's really obvious on how they wanted this trilogy to go, and it really hurt this trilogy overall. There's a ton of problems with it because of their different views. And I'm not saying one's right and the other's wrong, but if you were going to have multiple directors in a trilogy like that, Disney should have ensured that they had the same or at least similar visions. Yeah. And to get back to the movie, um, I like how for a sanitation guy, Finn knows an awful lot about everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I know he was sanitation, but I'm sure he went through the, like, basic stormtrooper training. Yeah, but you're telling me that in basic stormtrooper training, they teach you how to, like, disable tracking stuff and yeah. all that? That's the only thing that I found a little bit far-fetched about Finn's character, which, I mean, you could argue that he knows so much in in the first film. Why wouldn't he know all these things in the second one? But, sorry. 
With Rose, no. I buy it because she's a technician, and you've established right. that with her character in just these first few uh, moments of meeting her, that, that she's a technician of some sort. She works on the ship. That's her job. Right. But we already and know that Finn was a janitor. Right, right. Um, my next note really is... Okay, so we see she figures out he's trying to desert, and no hesitation, even though she views him as a hero, she tases him. I just wrote, good for you, get him, girl, knock him out. Girl power, girl boss, hashtag essential oils. Gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss, let's go. Um, No, I, I just, I really appreciate that in the film. Like, they established that she looks, she thinks Finn's a hero. She, she has, she views him very highly, and she didn't hesitate to tase him. But is it also a big lesson of this movie that oftentimes when we meet these heroes, they're not as not amazing as what we thought they would be? Yeah, which it's a commentary on real life. I agree. And then so we see them talking. She's taking him to the bridge. Um, and then they're like finishing each other's sentences when they're, you know, talking about the tech stuff and the tracking. Um and I just wrote, oh no, Finn's getting a new love interest. We don't know that for sure. Well, we don't know how Finn feels about her, but she definitely has feelings, which we'll talk about later. Um, uh, so there, do you have anything before they meet with Poe? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, no, really, the only thing I um, I had to say about this scene is I feel like they should have told Haldo the plan. Like, going behind her back, and this will lead more into, like, the mutiny later, but we really get to see a lot of Poe's arrogance here, which, as we've already discussed, it's to show his character development. He grows, but, um, you know, as we've mentioned, he thinks his way is the best way. Yeah. And I like, um, I like seeing Maz again, and I didn't really think about I it just too. now. Maz is kind of like um, like Dexter in uh, Attack of the Clones, whenever Kenobi goes to oh, see yeah. Dexter Jester at the diner. Uh-huh. That's kind of who Maz yeah. is in this film. Is In this... You know, they yeah. reach out for help to this person that they know has a great deal of information about the galaxy and stuff. Yeah, which is nice. You've pointed out a lot of... Um... A lot of parallels to the prequel trilogy that I I had I hadn't caught before, like not just in this film, but in uh, the Force Awakens as well. I'm always thinking about the prequels. Yeah, got it. I mean, they're so good. And so I think they missed a very big opportunity here to bring back a character in this film. Oh yeah, which which one? Which is where Maz is describing the Master Codebreaker. Uh huh. And you know she mentions it's. This really like suave guy who's, quote, um, a poet with a blaster. Whenever yeah. we watched this film the first time together, I could have sworn we were going to get Lando back on Canto Bike. I did too. I did too. And I thought it would have been an excellent, an excellent opportunity to bring back Lando Calrissian. Yes. Even, even if again. the characters didn't. Even if it carried out the same way that it does on Kanto Bai, I would have been fine with that. But to see Lando again like that, I thought would have been a really cool way. But of course we couldn't have actual Lando. They had to give us their soft reboot version. They had to give us Orlando Bloom. 
They had to give us Orlando Bloom. Which it wasn't Orlando Bloom, but... Yes, just to clarify. But, you know, we'll talk about this. Who goes on to help them and then betray them later. Mm -hmm. Anyway, sorry. Um, I will scream about it being a soft reboot a thousand more times. Um... I think the last thing I have is uh, Mods just saying, oh, yes, he can, in terms of helping them. It felt really sexual and uncomfortable. Oh, it was. She was rubbing yeah. the blaster in a very sexual nature. I was uncomfortable. I love that about Moz, though. So I have a question for you. Go ahead. How did you feel about the Force FaceTime call? I like it. I did, too. I was a little weird when I first saw it. But, like, going back and having all the context I do, the, like, whole trilogy, I, I like it, too. I think it was an interesting way to explore a new part of the Force that we hadn't seen on screen before. Right. Which, right. even and then, you can um, counter that with... We kind of have seen this before between, like, Luke and Vader calling out to each other in the original trilogy. Um, right. It just wasn't It just so, wasn't so like, strong. Obvious. Yeah. I mean, the connection that Kylo and Rey share is obviously super powerful. Right, right. They have that, they're, what do they call it, a force didact? A dyad in the force. Oh, dyad. I knew it was something like that. Um, so, again, in terms of, like, pacing and timing of this film, um, I really, like, the characters make uh, a couple of comments about just being able to see each other, not the surroundings around them. Um, and so I kept wanting to like, I kept wanting to see it from their perspective. Like what was Kylo seeing? What was Ray seeing? And then eventually we do kind of get to see that later, which we can talk about when we get there, but when their hands touch. I think right now during this first like force interaction is he just sees Ray and I'd imagine it's like either she's like in a very dark space or a very light space like all he sees is either darkness all around her or light all around her right. yeah um okay is this you uh made me mention you had a note for when they were talking is this here or is it later uh, i think later okay um ray which i really want to point out which is going to be important later she very clearly hates Kylo. Just with her dialogue, she, no hesitation, uh, pulled out her blaster and fired. Um, she hates this man. Yeah, which, I don't know why you have these really serious notes, and then I'm just like, hey, I have this thing that I think is funny. This is one is of it those the times. caretakers? No, it's, I do oh. have caretaker notes, but it's not right now. Cool. It's Kylo sliding across the floor. I don't know if I... I don't remember that. I mean, I believe you. I believe it's in there. I just... I don't remember it at all. Yeah, it's after he first feels the connection to the Force while he's getting his stitches taken out. Oh! And then he runs like, out into the corridor. Yeah, and he slides across the corridor. I was thinking like a Call of Duty slide where you're running and you crouch and you like get on your butt and slide. I was like, I do not remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, don't you remember but that yes. part where Kylo Ren does a combat roll down the corridor? <laughs> yeah, when there's clearly no no actual danger around. Um, so uh, really, uh, my next note is just the caretakers. It's a much more lighthearted. Uh, I love the caretakers. Well, one thing before the caretakers, while they're still oh, yeah. having that force connection, 
Um, I think it's interesting. Right before they close off the um, the force call, is that Kylo calls out to Luke. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was cool. Which I can't wait to talk about this comic that I have planned because I think it's going to add a lot of context to this as well. Yeah. So to the caretakers, they're funny. Luke's line them. about uh, the dialogue between Ray and Luke while they're heading up to the the temple, and she's like, you know, I don't think they like me. And he's like, I couldn't imagine why. Like. <laughs> That line yeah. seemed very out of pocket for Luke. It, it seemed more like a Han line, but Luke was right. delivering it. Yeah, it was funny though. I thought it was. I just thought it was an interesting thing for Luke to say. Yeah, but it makes sense for Hermit Luke. It it does. Uh, my next note is that every sentence, every word of that sentence was wrong. That's funny because that's uh my next note besides the uh. Right before that, the shot we get of the reflecting pool. Yeah. That's in there before they step out onto the rock. I just really, I think the reflecting pool is a cool, is a cool thing. That's it. I do too. Um, so, uh, we get Luke asking Ray what she thinks the force is, and she basically describes it as a weapon. And we get the, uh, iconic line, every word in that sentence, sentence was wrong. I love that line. Yeah, so um, do I. But I think... It, I think it really goes into a lot of my problem with Luke realizing the Jedi needed to die and the whole fact they already died. Um, and it just feels repetitive. Uh, but the Jedi of the prequel era, while they still had a respect for the Force and obviously a better understanding of the Force than Rey does at this moment, they also use the Force as a weapon. Um in this whole galactic civil war and in other conflicts we know there was a for sure a mandalorian uh war there's multiple conflicts against the sith um the jedi have used the force as a weapon and so this is one area where i feel like luke truly has learned and evolved and could have made a better jedi order i mean the whole every word you said in that sentence was wrong i took it as like fans always have their own idea of the force and i think ryan johnson did a good job of like ending that debate right here yeah yeah it's it's not a weapon it can be used as a weapon but it's not supposed to be yes and then the whole i'll get into it more after after they have this lesson of what what luke says about the jedi and everything like that and the force yeah but i love Luke in the leaf. It feels very. It feels very Master yeah. Yoda. Yeah. I... Gotcha. Gotcha. Slacking. No, I have no problem with Luke. It makes sense. It doesn't bother right. me that Luke is Yoda. Yeah. No. Um. It. I'm glad. I'm glad it doesn't bother you. It really. It really bothers me. But I. I do love this scene. It. It's hilarious. It is one of my favorite scenes in this film. I think it gives us that classic, like... Star Wars feel. That Yeah, that classic Star Wars feel is that Star Wars never takes itself too seriously, and I think that's important. And I yeah. think that's what Luke did here, and like I said, Luke's doing this, the only things he knows how to do 
which is imitate the people Yoda. that taught him. And he spent yeah. the most time with Yoda. Yeah. Um. Uh, okay, so we get the scene, and she's reaching out into the Force. I love the cinematography here. It is just so good. Right, and so... I can't remember. I could be wrong, but Luke makes this big speech about the light and the force. Yes. Uh, I think that is, I'm not sure if that's while, while she's reaching out or if it's directly after. Either way, I, I think it's before, but I could be wrong. It doesn't matter. We can talk about what happens during Ray's, um, connection to the force. Um, uh, are you talking about the line where he says to say the Jedi, uh, to say if the Jedi die, the Force dies as vanity? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Luke goes on this tangent about how the Force, to think that the Force belongs to the Jedi is um, wrong. Right. And then he gives right. the line that, um, like like you said, to say that the Jedi die, the light dies as vanity is is a hundred percent true. And yeah, no, again, that goes on to what we talked about about how we don't understand how people have the problem, um, with with the Jedi and Luke's comments in this film about how they needed to die because he he says it right here. It, it's vanity. Yeah, yeah, no, I com I completely agree. The Force, the light, and the dark belong to all everything has a connection to the force now the jedi might be the most uh, adept at using the force but the force belongs to all and um yeah no he he is right the jedi were proudful they were arrogant um there were a lot i don't get me wrong i love prequel jedi i do but they had their issues yeah, so talk about Ray going into the darkness. Uh, okay, no, really, uh, just uh, dark side Ray could have been a thing. Um, we see it's a little similar here, but uh, we'll get more into it later. Again, just um, parallels between this and Luke on Dagobah training with Yoda. Okay, cool. Goes... I'm glad that you're saying this because that's where I was going to. Cool. Yeah. Um, when he goes into the forest and he fights, quote-unquote, Darth Vader, but it's actually him. Um, again, there's another moment later in the film that I feel like parallels this moment better, but we're starting to see a little bit of it here. Right, and the thing that I didn't really, I wouldn't say understand, um, maybe I can explain it better if I just talk about it. So, like you made that connection to Luke going in the cave on Dagobah and Ray you know, going straight into the dark. I'm just like, why are you so surprised that she went in to look at what this thing was trying to show her whenever yeah. Yoda specifically told you whenever you went into the cave on Dagobah, whatever you take with you, which he right. took his weapons, but we've talked about it in that episode. It wasn't that he was taking his weapons. It's that he was taking his fear and his aggression towards Vader and with him. Right, right. And it's not like Ray took any of those things in with her she was just merely looking for answers yeah yeah um which does show a little bit of a difference between the two of them it does makes ray feel a little more individual of a character yes 
Um, okay, my next note is the uh, the nothing from you line. Go ahead. No, really, it's just that uh, we get the confirmation here that uh, Luke has cut himself off from the Force uh, because Ray reached out and he she felt all these things, but she felt nothing from Luke. Um, but and we mentioned this earlier, but we both kind of felt like he still was almost using the Force a little as he's navigating through the island. So I wrote, but also um maybe, um, yeah, I don't know. I um, I get that Luke is depressed. I'm totally okay with him giving up, but it just feels weird that she couldn't feel any part of him in the Force. Um, just because, I mean, the Force is all around us, or not us, but all around them. It's inside of them. It's a part of them. Right, but, you know, with... Uh... Other Star Wars media that we've gotten, like Mandalorian and everything, and Boba Fett, uh, we can see that Luke really is a very powerful Jedi. So to think that he couldn't yeah. cut himself off completely from the Force, I don't think is very far fetched. And I mean, he did it because of his failure and right. everything like that. And I think the reason why he's cut himself off completely is because now he feels undeserving of this gift, which is how he he views the Force in my opinion, is that he sees it, you know, as this gift as that gift he's able to of, use instead of as a weapon, yeah. like you've, you've stated previously. So I think or he's just... Not a weapon, but as just a natural part of their universe. Yeah, so I, I think for him to cut himself off completely makes sense in that I think he would be able to do that because now he just feels like, because of my failure, I don't deserve to even deserve be a part this of this yeah. wonderful balance of life and death and dark and light and in between it all, balance. And yeah. he thinks that, I think he thinks if he was still taking part in that, there would be no balance. Yeah. Um, which... Is it is it here or is it um, later? I think it's later that he's talking about that there was balance to the Force for a while. Yes, it's later. Okay, cool. We'll remind. I have some notes for that if I don't bring it up. Yes. Um, it, it's it's during their last lesson. Gotcha. And then my last thing on the scene. Do you have anything else here? Nope. Okay, my last note is the. It didn't scare me enough then. Uh, but it scares me now when he's talking about uh, feeling Ray uh, going to the dark side and how it didn't scare him enough when he felt Ben doing the same thing, which I think is a little bit of a contradiction because we clearly, like, I, I specifically made sure and watched all three flashback scenes to make sure that I um, I understood it correctly um, last night while I was writing my notes, but he was he clearly was scared even if it was just for a moment he clearly was scared of the dark side in ben yeah um which actually i'm gonna bring this up now because it's gonna lead to our conversation about the comics there's a theory that it may not have been necessarily ben that he was feeling that night it might have been palpatine but we'll get there when we get there fair enough my next notes, uh, chewing on the ship. Yeah, I I like the pork nest on the Falcon, like it's sweet. But I feel yeah. so bad for Chewie. He is always being I plagued by creatures. I mean, in um, 
when they're on Bespin and the Ugnots are messing with him and now the Porgs uh-huh. are messing with him and Chewie just can't catch a break. Yeah, I literally, I wrote this note again. Chewie's going through too much trauma to be dealing with these Porgs. Yeah. Poor Chewie. Uh, okay, we get, uh, do you have anything else here before we get to their next um, FaceTime call? I am ready for the next FaceTime call. Okay, I think uh, I just wanted to mention it here because Kylo very specifically in the film mentions that he destroyed the Jedi Temple. Yeah. Um, which uh, is going to come to a later retcon that we're going to talk about here in a minute, and I also wrote Disney Eat My Shorts. Tell me how you really feel. I I just wish Disney would make up their mind what they want to do with Star Wars. Um <laughs> And then just just kind of a basic note that I think is going to become more important later is Kylo really – not Kylo. Ray really hates Kylo, and we can still see that throughout this scene. Yeah, in one line I want to uh, point out specific here. It's towards the end of the conversation is, um, you know, Ray says you're a monster. And Kylo just looks back at her and says, yes, I am. But I think yeah. when he says that line, I don't think he's really buying into it. And I think, especially with this film, Kylo is constantly having to reassure himself that he is this awful person and he's just this strong Sith and he is the heir to Vader, no matter what Snoke says. Right. And, right. Um, you know, it gets brought up uh, earlier in the film whenever him and Snoke are talking and he's like, the act of you destroying your father split your soul to the bone. Yeah. And you can tell that that's completely true. And uh, this conversation only fully enforces that, that Kylo is struggling so hard and he's having to convince himself at every turn, every conversation he has with another character in this film, that he is the bad guy that he thinks he can be. And that other people tell him that he is. Yeah. No, he, um, he's trying his best to hold that, hold that face to hold that uh perception of himself not only to himself but to others yeah um um i don't have anything till canto bite yeah so uh looking at canto bite for the first time um i love the flying cruise ship yeah i literally wrote loved the ship to ship in reference to it being like a boat ship to it actually starting to fly yeah, I like that. And then uh, the other thought that I had about Canto Bite just here at the beginning is um, Canto Bite is just a pretty Mos Eisley. No, th- that's literally what I wrote. The iconic Star Wars bar scene, but fancy. But fancy. Instead of it being some dirty place, it's yeah. high rollers and everything is beautiful and very ornate and just pretty. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple little sparse notes here and there, but I, I don't have a lot to say about Cant- uh, Canto Bite. Um, I love BB-8 being a slot machine for that little drug okay, alien. Okay, that literally was my next note. Yeah, that's yeah, so funny. I like that. And I like that we see that alien come back later. Yes, he's yeah. great. You know, watching through this, um, the Canto Bite scene just overall, or scenes throughout this film, were a lot shorter than I remembered them. Like, I thought they spent a lot more time here. Yeah, I did too. And um, as I've watched this film more, and like we've talked about it before, The Last Jedi is um, 
the film that I've spent the most time with in the sequel trilogy. I used to hate Canto Bight like so much, and especially whenever yeah. we first um, watched it in theaters together, I thought that the Canto Bight scenes like sucked in that they drug a lot. But now that I've reviewed them a little bit more carefully and really thought about what happens in Canto Bight, I, I have a really different opinion on Canto Bight. Yeah, and if I'm just being honest, I do think the Canto Bight scene is prob like or scenes is probably the weakest uh, amongst the film, but that doesn't mean they're bad. Yeah, no, I I can definitely see how you would how you would think that, and um, where I used to think that these was like the these scenes were like the dragging point of the movie. Now that I've reviewed, like I said, now that I've looked at them more carefully, I I have a different opinion on them, and um, I think where Rose and Finn are outside on that balcony, yeah, and they're watching the Fathia race and. Rose is kind of giving her backstory to Finn and what, what happened to her and her sister and her planet and everything. Um, her line about looking closer. Yeah. Um, I really, that line really stuck out to me. And I, I think it's an analogy for this whole film is to look closer at look things. Look closer. Yeah. Because they're not look closer in the sense that um, things are not what they seem, but just search for the deeper meaning behind everything that goes on in this film and not that every you have to analyze every line and every scene and every move that the characters make but um as we've stated before this film gets so much flack because people are only willing to look at the surface of what characters say or do in this film and i think if you just do what rose says and look a little bit closer you get so much more out of this movie yeah yeah, no, I I completely agree. Um, I will I will say um, I I really liked uh, hearing about her um, her and her sister's backstory. I think it really provided a a new and a different perspective. Um, but I did feel like her telling Finn how bad war is just felt a little on the nose like i mean finn was literally kidnapped as a child and forced to be a soldier for this evil organization like finn knows how bad war is like he doesn't need a long speech on it right but i mean you can also think about in the force awakens whenever he sees uh whenever they have the firing squad on the villagers like you can tell that he had never done something like that before Right, right, but he also, he knew that it was wrong and that he shouldn't. He has a very specific line where he says, I made my choice not to fight for them. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it's bad, I just feel like it's a little, a little on the nose. Yeah, it was, um, it was mostly just to give us more character depth for Rose. For Rose, yeah, I completely agree, and like I said, um, prior to this whole long statement, like, it does provide... Uh, a nice perspective for her um, and a different look at the war. That's all I have for Canto Bite at this time. Uh, all The last note I have is they get captured and one of the guards throws BB-8 and I just wrote, how dare he throw BB-8? Yeah, poor He's little BB-8. Poor guy. Must protect at all costs. Um, okay, my next note is I think when Ray is training. Yeah, I like that Ray uses um, a reverse grip mostly. Yeah, I did too. 
Uh, it was a nice uh, callback to uh, Ahsoka. Yeah, and the, a lot of people have problems with Rey and how like adept she is at fighting. But if you also like She's been look at fighting her whole life, right? But if you also look at this uh, little training montage that she has out there by herself, you can tell that she doesn't use really any of the, um, like the standard forms we've seen in any of the films. Like it's very, um, like raw and rough and not put together. I mean, she knows what she's doing, but it's not like yeah. the standard lightsaber combat that we've known. She's using a lightsaber like a sword and not necessarily like a lightsaber, which I know they're incredibly similar, but yeah, they're not the same weapon. No. Um, so that's actually, that had me thinking, um, and this is something we don't really see much through any of the films, but a discussion on the different lights, different forms of lightsaber combat. And that's something I wish the films would have, as a whole saga, would have uh, dealt into a little more. That's in the four-hour extended cut of uh, Revenge of the Sith. Of course it is. Release it, Disney, you cowards. <laughs> uh, and then my last note is the poor the poor caretakers uh, as she cuts the rock and it falls and breaks their cart. That's hilarious because my note that I wrote down for that is poor caretakers. Yeah. Uh, Ray just uh, making their lives way too hard. I really like how the caretakers were used in this film too, though. I do too. Like that was uh, obvious, okay. you know, for a laugh in the film because things have been kind of on the downslope in these last couple of scenes and that was you know the funny moment to keep people engaged but it wasn't so like over the top right right and it goes with the already established theme of you know Ray's making life harder for the caretakers um i'm on to their next training session as am i my friend a really important i wanted to point out a line is Luke says the legacy of the Jedi is failure. Do you have anything before that? That is my exact note. Cool. And my note was, uh, like, yes, I, I am a big proponent of the the prequel Jedi needed to die. They had become unbalanced from the Force. But I don't think necessarily it's right to say the legacy of the Jedi is failure. The Jedi, across thousands of years have done a lot of good for the galaxy. And I think that's something that Luke and a lot of the fan base need to remember. Yes, you're right. The Jedi did do a lot of good. But again, we have to think about the legacy that Luke was told. Right, And the exactly. legacy that Luke, Luke learned about. So all right. Luke knows is the failures of the Jedi. And that's what he's internalized and taken to heart. Yeah. Yeah, and... I think it really comes down to it is um, my biggest problem with the whole trilogy. If if it were to be one one specific thing, it would be the second Jedi purge. Mm. And that leads to a lot of what we're seeing here with Luke. And I know I've said that already, but um, it, I think, goes to what you were saying. I think that reinforces Luke's view here. And why he is the way he is because of the second Jedi Purge. Happened once, happened again, probably will happen a third time. I mean, all Luke knows is failure. Yeah. So uh, he. D okay. Now, now wait a minute. 
wait a minute. Go ahead. Luke did save the galaxy. It's not all failure. We saw plenty of successes yeah, throughout the original successes trilogy. that led to failure. <laughs> Listen, it's not Luke's fault. Because I mean, but, soft reboot these films. Whenever you look at Luke, what what is he going to remember more? Whenever they win, or whenever something bad happens? Probably when something bad happens. But that doesn't mean his life is all failure. Maybe he views it that way. But he did save the galaxy. Yeah, he, he did great things. Well, for he sure. brought Darth Vader back. He destroyed a Death Star. He helped defeat Palpatine in the very end. Like, or, well, or so we thought. Uh, really hope they don't just bring him back in the very last one. That'd be a shame. Um, anyway, I want to talk about <laughs> the balance line. Uh, Go for it. Because I have a, a line that Luke says, but I'm not sure when it is. I know it's during this whole spiel, but go ahead. Cool. Um... We see Luke and uh, Ray are talking. He's talking about his students. And there's a couple things I want to point out here before I get to the balance line. He very specifically mentions he had a dozen students in his temple. Um, but then I, I really wish they just waited to make these films until after we got a lot of these new series like The Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Jedi Fallen Order, which I know is a game because like – uh, them finishing Rebels. There's a lot of things that, like, where there are a lot of questions that I feel like this film that were created after these films were made that these films could have answered. Like, where's Ahsoka? Where's Cal Kestis? Where's Ezra? Um, just little, little notes there. But the main thing I want to talk about is he says there was balance uh, before Ben came back. But was there really balance? If there was no darkness in the galaxy, and it was just the Jedi, well, I think with the Mandalorian, um, I think the Mandalorian kind of answers that. Is even though Luke defeated the Empire, ultimately, we see that throughout the galaxy, people are still suffering. Yeah, and I, I think the Mandalorian kind of bridges that gap. Right, right, and like. And that's why I wish they would have just waited to... Yeah, but of course we didn't get that until answer after. until, like, two years ago. Right, right. Um, okay, uh, that's really all I have before we see Luke's perspective on the Kylo's disappearance and the destruction of the Jedi Temple, which is going to lead into my long tangent about the comics. Okay, cool, because I just have that line that Luke says is he specifically, whenever he's talking about Ben before the Force Vision, he specifically says that, you know, he, he's talking about how he became a legend and then Ben comes along and he sees the strength and how he thinks he could make Ben into this great warrior that he was. Yeah. And he says, um, I thought I could pass on my strengths. And I think that that is so important, especially for later. Um, yeah. Like, Luke misses so much of the point, and I think it's so true to his character of what a teacher is. Like, if you only pass on the good things to a student, what happens whenever they do face adversity or struggles that their teacher has faced before them? If they right, only know got... about the good stuff, what are they going to do whenever the bad stuff comes? And I think that's so right. important to remember about Luke and his character is that he only wants to pass on the good things. Right. Which, okay... 
um, I think leads really well into what I'm going to talk about with the comics, in, in, unless you've got anything else you want to throw in. I'm going to try and make this as quick as I can. No, go ahead. I'm ready to talk about the vision and everything. Okay, so uh, we see the vision. We see, I believe this is where we see the first of the flashbacks where we just see Kylo bringing the building down on top of Luke and then him pulling himself out and seeing the um, the temple on fire. And Luke very specifically says uh, Kylo destroyed the temple and he vanished with a handful of my students. Yes, this entire vision is from Luke's point of view. Right. Um, so do you, I mean, is there anything specific about the visions you want to talk about? Um, I mean, a great deal of the truths we cling to you know, dependent on our point of view, so. Right, right. It's, that is incredibly important. Go ahead, my friend. Okay. I'm Like I said, I'm going to try and make this as quick as possible. So this is from the Rise of Kylo Ren comic book series. It is a four-part miniseries. I did um, read as much of it last night as I possibly could um, specifically to talk about this because we find out exactly what happens here. Yeah, I actually read those comics a while back, so I'm a little, yeah, okay. I'm a little fuzzy on remembering everything that happens. But, um, so uh, I've been lying. We don't officially get the reveal that it was Palpatine who caused the lightning bolt to destroy, um, the Jedi Temple. It was a Force storm. We don't know exactly who caused it, but it's heavily hinted at that it was Palpatine. Um, so I can't specifically say that it was him, but we also. Uh, we see that Kylo s says it was him who destroyed the temple, but it doesn't. It doesn't really seem like it was Kylo. Kylo was just kind of there, being really depressed that uh, he thought Luke was about to kill him. Again, going into what you said about the um, uh, perspective of things and how our our perspective matters. Um, so Kylo actually tried to help the students inside. Uh, but it, he was confronted by three other students, and these three students are the ones that Luke specifically mentions were the handful that left with Kylo. They didn't actually leave with Kylo Ren. They were chasing him down because they thought that Kylo killed Luke, and they were trying to get revenge. Yeah, I remember uh, that. We also learned that the Knights of Ren existed before Kylo. They existed before they joined the First Order, uh, they were started by a dark side user who has an actual lightsaber named, obviously, Ren. And they were just like a group of really killers. They went around um, taking glory and killing people and serving Snoke as best as they could. And we get a really interesting section of Kylo, or not Kylo, Luke and Ben and Lor Santeca, who is the man who gives Poe the map to Luke, so we get a little perspective there, actually fighting the Knights of Ren before Ben turns to the dark side. Yes, I remember all of this. Okay, cool. A couple things to point out from the series is we get, we find out that Ben thinks he was Luke's first pupil, which kind of goes into the retconning of things. Again, the whole Kylo says he destroyed the temple, the retconning of things. Was Grogu his first student? Was Leia Luke's first student? And then we find out through this that Ben kills two of the students that were following him through different battles, and Kyle, uh, the original Ren killed one, 
uh snoke sent kylo to train the knight to train with the knights of ren and in the end after ren kills one of the students kylo then turns on him and kills him and that's how he became the knights of ren and we also get some flashes of like lay ray and leia uh sensing uh kylo using the dark side and like this was all really really important stuff and i'm glad there's a comic about it but um maybe not all of it but this should have been in the film like at least the temple being destroyed and showing what happened here that should have been in the film maybe not how he became the leader of the knights and ren and stuff like that but that's really important because for so long a ton of people thought that um kylo and the students that left with him were the became the knights of ren and those students were now quote-unquote like sith or dark side users um i don't know it just it bugs me like there's a lot of really important stuff that i love but it also bugs me that it's so important to this film and none of it's here in the film i mean that could be because you know with anakin we got to see his fall right you know so like we got to see that progression of anakin becoming vader and with kylo we just we didn't see how he became the big bad right and you know we don't actually see that in the original trilogy we get the uh, episodes one through three again that kind of just goes to like the whole soft reboot nature it's very similar to the original trilogy and this is a way that they could have removed themselves from that yeah but it, if you put that in the film what would you you would have you would have had to have taken something out yeah i don't you know i think so i'm gonna talk about it more later but and the reason i keep mentioning that ray how much she hates kylo is because when we get to part two we see her really quickly turn uh turn her perspective on kylo ren like she very clearly doesn't hate him anymore i think in one of their conversations when he's talking about it it could have maybe just been like a force vision it didn't necessarily have to be him telling her but we could have seen him all literally all they needed was him running out after the building was destroyed and then seeing the lightning strike the temple and him realizing that everyone is in danger that's all they needed could have took like a minute um anyway i just it, it goes into what we talked about in the last episode was the whole mystery box thing it's it's just another mystery that doesn't get answered in the film yeah and that's the thing about films you can't always answer those questions in the time right. that you're given right exactly and you know who knows maybe we'll get a a clone wars style series here in the future that gives us seven seasons between episode six and seven which i mean i guess we're getting the mandalorian and boba fett but maybe something a little more focused on luke leia han and like the new uh, republic anything's possible uh okay that was like my big thing so i think my last thing from that scene is i really like ray's line about the galaxy needing a legend like uh, luke says he's just a legend and that that's how she responds yeah my thing is uh her last line from that is the um that kylo failed you but i won't yeah and it, it yeah, reminded really me a lot too. of um when luke leaves to go face vader for the first time on cloud city oh yeah and you yeah, know he's I like don't worry i won't fail you i'll come back 
Yeah. Um, okay, then we get a cut back to uh, the ships as they're being attacked by the First Order. Yes, the medical frigate going down. The medical frigate going down. And I, I literally just wrote, a good captain goes down with the ship. I really like uh, his line there of Godspeed Rebels. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, thought I it was, too. thought it was a good line. Did he say Rebels or did he say Resistance? He said Rebels. He said Godspeed Rebels. We got him, boys. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. Uh, okay, I don't have anything till uh, Canto Bite. Yeah, I'm ready to talk about DJ, man. Yeah, so I literally wrote, oh, oh no, I hope this thief they just met doesn't appear to help them then betray them later. I really like DJ, and I think I do, the choice of Benicio Del Toro to play him was a great choice. I, I couldn't think of anybody else that I would... I would pick for him. I I completely agree. I just um you know it's uh it's a very different situation, but he's very clearly filling that Lando role. Yeah, like this mysterious pirate man thief guy. Yeah, I like DJ. Um, that's all I gotta say about DJ. I do too. I also loved uh, BB-8 uh, taking out all those guards. Yeah, felt very R two. Yeah, BB-8 is very capable of defending himself. BB-8 also got a ton of coins from that drunk alien. Which makes you wonder how long BB-8 sat there and let him put in coins. Which also makes me wonder, how much storage does BB-8 have inside of him? We're going off on another tangent again. Okay, uh, my next note would be, why wouldn't they replace the sewage caps? Like, they just left it open. Like, of course they they're gonna find where they went it feels so dumb suspend your disbelief suspend my disbelief um my next thing is about okay. uh the fathers they're so sweet yeah they're sweet creatures they are so cute i like them. um i like that she used the ring to uh you know signify they're with the resistance the ring is pretty cool i thought it was something very yeah. subtle but also like a neat little little thing i i yeah, I completely agree. Um, so then, do you do you? I mean, do you have many notes on this Canto bite scene? Not really. Just Finn's line about stop enjoying this. Gotcha. Yeah. No. Um, I think that's a funny line. Uh, we see them crash through the building. We get the iconic. Uh, the I said the fat lady sings as you know they're bringing this whole place down. Yeah. Uh, we see the little alien again. He gets some money. He does. More coins to put into BB-8. Uh, they're running through. They make it to the beach. And I wrote, haha, your ship got blown up like in The Force Awakens. Another point in this movie where there just is no hope. Once things start looking up, they start looking right back down. Right down. Yeah. And then my last note here is Finn's line. Uh, it was worth it, though. Uh, tear up that town. Make them hurt. It just felt really forced it was like a it, it was it was it was awkward it it was awkward it was a little cringy uh, it was very on the nose it was very girl power girl boss gatekeep girl boss gaslight yeah mansplain manipulate male wife yes um yeah i don't know i just i think that's really the only thing i uh Rose's line when she's talking about how bad war is, and then Finn's line here, 
that both of those are the only things I really don't like about the Canto Bite scene, just because they feel a little forced. They do. But I do, I do actually like the Canto Bite scenes. Like I said, they just feel like the weakest part of the film. And I, I think a lot of people feel that way, too. I don't have anything till we get back to Luke. Uh, yeah, besides the only thing that I would say about the Canto Bite scenes is imagine that, like, the sequel trilogy is, like, your introduction to Star Wars. You you would need yeah. those things explained because, I mean, the prequels do a really good job of, like, explaining war and everything like that. And you could pick prequel lines that are really on the nose about war. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Because, I mean, when you think of... Uh, you know, that line that you mentioned just now. And then whenever you think about how in the prequels in episode three, you know, Padme's line about democracy. The, uh, this is how democracy dies. With thunderous applause. I mean, that that's pretty on the nose too. It is. And I think, it, I don't know. I actually really like that line from Padme. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I th- Maybe it's just the way it's... Presented. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. was just trying to make a, you know, a thing for this new generation of people that watch Star Wars now is like you need those lines for the new for context. For the yeah. new people that are watching it. Right. Okay, go ahead, talk about Luke. Uh no, we see him reach out through the Force. He's made that he's made that reconnection and uh first thing he senses is that his sister is in trouble. Well, I mean, he was definitely I think he was trying to reach out to Leia. Oh, yeah, specifically? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, specifically he was trying to reach out to Leia because um, through most of the dialogue that he and Ray have had, you know, she mentions Leia and how bad they need him to come back and especially they how bad are. she needs him to come back. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, we just see their their sibling love. They care for each other. If anybody's gonna kiss my sister, it's gonna be me. Nope, Mm-mm, we're not. We're not bringing that back. I guess there's another head kiss though, and this one isn't there. Oh yeah. Ah. Okay. Uh, my next note is Ben Swolo. Ben Swolo. Ben Swolo getting shragged. The man is built like a brick house. Like a brick house really changed a lot of perspective on. Uh, a lot of people's perspective on Kylo, I believe. Uh, it also, I think, I'm not gonna lie, uh, I think it also helped Ray change her mind a little bit because before this moment, she very clearly hated him, and then next thing, next time they meet, there, there's some romantic tension, just a bit, just a bit. Um, but I really like how we see uh kylo's perspective of that night uh to him it looked like um luke skywalker was about to kill him and he did what he needed to to protect himself but just exactly what you see or said it was all about perspective yeah whenever we see kylo's uh recollection of these events it's all in defense yeah there's no there's no attack in his memory of the story it's just him defending himself and I, right. I even think he says that he's like scared. Yeah, he was he was just a kid. He was scared. Yeah. And then uh, Which you were asking you were asking, um, you're asking about where I thought they could put that scene in the comics, 
I think it could have been right here. Again, it may not have necessarily been, um, it may not have necessarily been like him telling Ray, but maybe through their force connection, she might have had a force vision and just saw a tidbit of what happened there. And I think that would have really helped her. I know I made a joke about her changing her mind on, on Ray or on Kylo because she saw him shirtless, but I really thought this would have added some depth to her decision to kind of change her perspective but that we'll talk about in the next part that's like the first thing we talk about we'll talk about in part two so i don't want to get too much into it here well and i think they tried to do that in the force awakens whenever she has that force vision whenever she touches the lightsaber in maz's castle right as you do right. get that scene of kylo ren and the knights of ren doing something they're killing somebody but as uh as we've mentioned i really thought originally that was them killing off the jedi order but we don't know who that is because we know now clearly what happened to the um to the Luke's Jedi order. Yeah. Okay, my I don't have anything till our last scene that we're going to talk about. Okay, so I just have one small thing is it it's at the tail end of this conversation that they have with each other and it was whenever I talked about earlier in the podcast um whenever Ren destroyed the helmet. Um, I think it's in direct correlation to this line, actually. Yeah. Is he tells Ray, you know, he's talking about Han Solo and everything like that. And he says to let the past die. And I right. think... Right. Whenever you first look at that scene, it's it's a lot about Han and Kylo's relationship and how he had to kill Han in order to progress in his... um his steps but mm -hmm. i i think yeah. i think it also has to do with whenever he broke the helmet and now kylo's realizing i have to let the idea of vader go and become my own big bad right right which we get to see a lot more at the end of this film yeah but no that that's just that was the the thing that i had to mention later that's what i was talking about nice uh, okay, so we get to see Rey. Uh, she goes down into that tunnel, that hole, uh, the dark side of the island, basically. And she gets a she gets her own vision, which I think parallels. Um, this is what I've been talking about. Uh, Luke's vision on, or I guess not vision, but his sequence in uh, Episode Five on Dagobah, where he faces Darth Vader himself. Um, but with this one, we get to see her uh, asking where her parents are, and there's like a long line of just her, and everyone behind her is ahead of her, like in time. It's almost like... Um, it's an infinity loop. Yeah, it's an infinity loop. It just keeps going on forever. Um, and we get her asking uh, where her parents are. Right. Or who her parents are. Which ultimately just turns into her seeing herself. Right. And I, I literally wrote, uh, Triclops, is that you? Oh no, it's just Ray. Well, I think you can take this scene a few different ways, which um, you can see it as Ray doesn't have parents and they aren't coming back for her and that she is her own parent and she's all that she has because whenever you think of the right. conversation that her and Kylo have directly before she goes down to this cave is, you know, Kylo tells her like, 
You're nothing. Your parents abandon you. You're all that you have. Right. Han's not here to take care of you anymore. He's not your father. Yeah. You're all that you have. Yeah. You're just some scavenger girl who's all alone. Yeah. No, I I um I completely agree and it makes sense for the ending of this film um and the family reveal that we get there. Uh sure hope they don't make that a big point of the film just to change it in the next one. Yeah. Um Okay, do you have anything else on this scene? That's it, man. Cool. I think I just have one last generic statement I want to make about this film overall. Um, I've mentioned it a few times, uh, the sins of its predecessor. Uh, We mentioned it a lot as we were talking about um, Episode 7, both Part 1, Part 2. J.J. Abrams set up all these mystery boxes, so many different ones, little ones, big ones, important ones, ones that are would be okay if they never got answered but um i think a lot of people went into this film hoping at least some of them had been answered and most of them weren't and i think that really came down to jj abrams wanting to create a mystery box not necessarily having an answer for all of them and then ryan johnson coming in seeing that jj abrams didn't have an answer to these questions and not wanting to answer them himself um which you know, I just, I don't think, I know it was a good way, these mystery boxes, to get the audiences excited for um, episode eight, but I I really hurt, I think, a lot of people's enjoyment of this film because those mystery boxes built so much uh, anticipation and then never got answered. Hmm. Like, that, that was my number one complaint when I left the theater the first time I watched it is... I, I realized like none of these things got answered and now if they want to, and now JJ Abrams going to take over and he's going to start answering these questions at the wrong time like in, he should be conflu- concluding these films instead of you know bringing these things back up like uh, the Knights of Ren was a really big one who are they what are they we never see them in this film and then they you know play a larger part in episode 9 but that's not like one specific per- person's fault. I just, to reiterate that point, they should have, if they were going to have multiple directors, at least made sure they had a similar vision. Yeah, I think that was the biggest battle that Ryan Johnson faced in this film. And like those mystery boxes, like who is Ray's parents? I think I think Ryan answered that in this film and people were just upset the way he answered it. Right, right. He either answered, the, answered it and... It wasn't what fans wanted, or he com- he just didn't mention it at all in the fan or in the film. And like in Ryan Johnson's defense, I really feel like J.J. Abrams not purposely, but set him up to fail. Yeah, I think so too. Um, okay, I think that's all for today. We will be back here in two weeks with our part two review. Yeehaw. Yeehaw! Uh, for the Animal Squadron, this has been Mother Goose. And a still sick house dog. See you, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>